Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around, you'll be glad you did. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent bass. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know you're lying, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. I am Jason Peters, and with me today is the man who John Voigt calls the most eloquent man on parlor, Mr. Ryan Siebold. What's up, Jason? How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great, man. How are you? Just... Hanging out here with my buddy Voigt, uh, Johnny V. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I meant to, I meant to ask you this. Uh, like, when exactly did you go full QAnon? Uh, yeah, I just been working my way through the alphabet and picking up different uh, different cults <laughs> as I go along. You know, we're here in uh, I'm here in Old Clearwater, Florida, Tampa, Florida, home of Scientology. Uh, so I started there, uh, and it just wasn't for me. I needed something a little further out, but not like Kool-Aid out there. Like I needed to, to slow it down a bit. So I figured QAnon was like a good, <laughs> good middle of the rotor, you know, to get me where I needed to be in life. Yeah, no, I, I, I've, I've checked out the parlor. It's definitely, yeah, middle of the road. Sure. Let's go with that. One. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like a good parlor? Like that's just, it's a fun word to say. It's, it's a fun place to hang out. And uh, yeah, it's a fun place to share conspiracies. So here we are. You know, I'm impressed by the uh, fact that you're able to avoid so many spelling errors. Um, and the and, and the all caps deliveries, by the way, mwah, just really gets the point across. Parlor is just Facebook for people who aren't pussies. So I don't know. <laughs> you got some soul searching. Let's be do. honest, dude. You're Q. Maybe you got you're some Q, soul aren't you? Just come out. Just say it. You're Q. We all knew it. We knew it all along. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Anyways, enough with the goofiness, Ryan. We have a film. We have two films to discuss today, actually, and we are gonna start off. With something that's a little out there, man. Tell us about it. We got uh, two good movies for you. One is Dagon from 2001. The other is Bowfinger from Frank Oz. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, But starting with Dagon, uh, giving you a quick summary from IMDb. Dagon is described as a boating accident, runs a young man and woman ashore in a decrepit Spanish fishing town, which they discover is in the grips of an ancient sea god and its monstrous half-human offspring. This is from director Stuart Gordon, the guy who brought us Reanimator, uh, and loosely written or based on a story by H.P. Lovecraft. I think you have some insight into that. You're a little more uh, literarily inclined than I am. Uh, again, the, the, the parlor doesn't lend itself well to things like that. Uh, although we do study a lot of Cthulhu, <laughs> we know about some Cthulhu. He's coming. Uh, that's, that's next up. Cthulhu 2024 uh, in the parlor is what we're chanting right now. We're really hoping for, for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Yeah, it's super funny, dude, because uh, this film is indeed adapted from an H.P. Lovecraft story. And H.P. Lovecraft did write a story called Dagon, However, this movie is not an adaptation of the story Dagon. I, I forget the exact name of the short story it's based on, but it's like something from like, you know, something from the deep lagoon, whatever type thing. Uh, and then inexplicably, 
they decided to call it Dagon. So I don't know what the hell's going on there, man. But either way, I have a clip for our listeners before we get into it. Let's listen. We are in a boat off the coast of España. Honey, our stock could be going underwater and we wouldn't even know it. What are you doing? I'm just going on vacation. Let's say we've got a storm coming up. Brace yourself! We're gonna have to take the raft into that town for help. We need help. What kind of church is this? What the hell's going on here? <gasps> I'm uh, supposed to meet someone here? A woman? Senorita? You want to tell me what's wrong with everybody in this town? I tell you what's good. No one leaves. People come, but no one leaves. Why are you trying to kill us? What have we done to you? I am Lucia. I've been waiting for you. Barbara? They give the And the child will be immortal. If it happens to me, You've got to promise you'll kill me. Come on, motherfucker. We are children of Dagon. It is your destiny. Will you forget your world and your friends? There will be no time. No today, no yesterday. Only the forever. And forever. And forever without end. Alright, so that was the trailer for Dagon Ryan. As it turns out, not really a lot of quality clips available online, man. You don't say. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take it one step further. I'm going to take it what there weren't a lot of quality clips in this movie when I rented it on Amazon Prime. <laughs> <even, so. laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare you? I actually I I actually enjoyed this movie. We'll get we'll, we'll get into that right now, but no, the the audio quality is kind of it's a, it's a little rough at times in the movie itself, and the only thing online is just low quality transfers. So Uh, That's all you're going to get. The rest of the movie you are going to spend with Ryan and I. Hope you guys like it. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, so now, Ryan, before we get into the film, let's go ahead and let people know there's one thing you're going to have to accept if you're going to enjoy Dagon. Or if you already watched it, you know know what we're talking about. That's the production value, okay? It's it's not a high-budget movie. I think the budget was something around a million dollars. It seemed to have been financed by like 17 Spanish municipalities or something based on the opening uh, opening credits. And so it doesn't always look great. It doesn't always sound great. Uh, the acting is suspect at times. That being said, there's a lot of really unique stuff that you're not going to see anywhere else in this film. We'll get into what that is in just a moment. So 
when we open, we've got a very traditional sort of, you know, cast and crew credits where uh, it's like the old timey just showing the writer, the director, production assistant, blah, blah, blah. Well, and, and, and sort of trembling water. I want to jump in real quick. Go on, sir. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. I really am. But uh, it's worth mentioning that uh, I, I need to. You kind of brought it up. I wanted to hammer it down. There were so many in associations with. I feel like everybody chipped in like a twenty <laughs> spot to make this and get a get a production credit. <laughs> I just I was expecting towards the end, like uh, you know, an association with Tim. I was like, oh, okay, Tim. Tim's in, <laughs> he he kicked down some money. Cool. <laughs> So many production companies help make this. It's funny because you're absolutely right. And the reason I didn't, I just realized right now, the reason I didn't bring it up is because I kind of made that same joke on Guns Akimbo. And it just occurs to me that's literally the only episode that we've never done together. Uh, because Guns Akimbo was exactly the same way. Did yeah, like yeah. 18 different production companies that it opened with. Yeah, I, I think you even made a reference to that Family Guy episode where he keeps thinking that the... Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the production... All right, settling in for a sci-fi here. Oh, no, it's just a production company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyways, man. But yeah, so, you know, we've got a really traditional opening credits. And, and I have to admit, dude, I did have to double check that this movie was released in 2001 and not 1987. It has a really, really old school, cheesy dude, 80s yes, vibe, which it totally does. I mean, makes sense. It's in my notes. It makes sense. That's when Stuart Gordon came up. I said, is this this movie looks like it's from 1985. That's what I wrote. So uh, this has like 80s style everything. Yeah, I had 87. So we're going to. We're going to split the difference and call it and say it looks like 86. 86 okay? it is. You're welcome. Yep. Listeners. And I'll, uh, as we get into this, I'll explain <laughs> a little more why. All right, man. So from there, after that opening credit sequence, we are underwater. We've got this guy. He's scuba diving and he finds this very sort of ornately decorated tunnel. Uh, doesn't know what it is. He's feeling around. All of a sudden turns around. Oh, look, a mermaid. And, you know, kind of looks at her cockeyed a little bit. Then we get the jump scare, she screams, and he wakes up. Now, Ryan, right off the bat, before we even get into the movie, uh, I just want to ask you, when I invited you on this show, uh, to, before we even did the first episode, and, and you agreed, did you imagine that within the first season, we would get not one, but two films Featuring a heavy dose of mermaid fucking. Man. Did you did you see that coming, buddy? <laughs> this is that also in my notes. <laughs> Naked mermaid movie number two. <laughs> I could I I was just laughing so much, dude, because it was just like we we made such a big deal about that on that episode because the movie the lighthouse made such a big deal about it. And so to 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 see that right away, and especially later on, we'll we'll touch on that scene. But <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I was just like, "How funny is this, dude?" Yeah, and I think even in, in our in our lighthouse discussion uh, a few episodes back, I even uh, made a quick reference to them just dating, a little finger in the gill, and this movie literally showed a finger in the gill, and I was like, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> Stewie G is throwing it down. And I don't know what I expected. Look, I mean, this is from Stuart Gordon, the guy that gave us Reanimator, as I said earlier, which yes. you know is notorious for some schlocky, uh, you know, dismembered head oral sex and stuff Felicio. like that. So, That's all I have. I don't have anything. Screaming out Felicio. Continue. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, he gave her some head, literally, in that movie. And, uh, hey-o. Hey-o. so yeah, I, I don't know what I expected other than, a little more of that. In fact, uh, I maybe I should have expected more uh, than what they gave me. And that's, 
I think kind of the problem that I that I had with this movie, if I had any, is that it it was neither this nor that. So it was neither uh, Reanimator, where it leaned all in on the schlockiness and went way over the top bonkers, but it was not a typical sci-fi movie and it was not a typical horror movie. It had little pieces and bits of each one of these. And just when you started to settle in and be like, okay, here we go. Now it's going to be this. Then it would like take a jaunting, you know, turn a, a, a jolting turn in, in, and be something else. So I thought this movie was a little schizophrenic in that way, not to get off topic, but um, yeah. So that, that was kind of my take on that. It's no, like, I, you know, either go all in with, uh, with, with that or, or, or not, but, you know, it was just kind of like a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B uh, on the tone of the film. But anyways, yeah. So um, the, uh, I actually appreciated that about the film. Though, oh, OK. Because I like the fact that. See, because here's the thing is I, I felt like it was a very solidly made film. Yeah. Like in terms of if you just look at the um, at the atmosphere and the beats of the suspense and the progression of the story. I felt like all of that was actually very well done, a little bit more traditional, but then you still get all the batshit crazy story elements, and we've still got this chick with tentacles, and we've got crazy sacrifices and fish people, and so I don't know, man. I mean, I think it, for me, I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is I don't disagree with you, but I think that maybe where our discrepancy comes from is you feel like maybe it didn't take the best of both worlds whereas i feel like it kind of did maybe you know especially for a movie that was made for a million bucks hey look uh let me go on record as saying that i did not dislike this movie i'm gonna have things that i talk about that uh maybe i thought could be done better this is a film discussion podcast so i'm here to discuss a film but at the same time as a dude on a couch watching a movie. I kind of liked this movie. I just don't know. <laughs> uh, I was having trouble finding enough meat on the bone here to bring it to the table and uh, and serve it to our listeners. I just thought that it was kind of what it was. And you watch it and say, cool, and then go about your day. I wasn't mad about seeing it. I liked this movie. I like Stuart Gordon. Uh, there's... It, it reminded me um, about some other movies that he did, uh, like a movie called Edward with William H. Macy um, that was written by David Mamet. That, uh, I think it was in 2003 or four. It was right after this film. Uh, and I'd like to go watch that. Uh, that's based on a stage play and the whole bit. Um, yeah. I And then I, I took a deep dive into who Stuart Gordon was as well. And we'll talk about that in a bit as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I did not dislike this film. If I'm going to come off as being a little harsh about some things, it's, um, just because we're at a film discussion podcast and I just didn't feel like this movie gave me a whole lot to dissect, but we'll see if you can bring that, bring that to the table. Anyways. Fair enough, man. We're going to call that a, we're going to go ahead and call that seeking a friend syndrome. Cause that's exactly how that one went. Fair. You know, where I, I thought I didn't dislike the film, but it's like, you know what? If I just sit here and say, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. That doesn't make for an entertaining <laughs> show. So I'm going to take the anti a podium while you know my co-host takes the pro podium and we're gonna have a nice little debate and it's gonna come off like i didn't like the movie but i didn't i'm just taking that side for the purpose of discussion right well I that's you, me buddy. for the context of this film that's me uh i i did not dislike this movie i just don't know if it was a movie that necessarily belonged on esoterica cinema's list but we didn't know that going in fuck it let's just talk about it <laughs> We review everything, dude. We have genre crap and we have esteemed classics and everything in between, foreign, domestic. We do not discriminate on this show. Equal opportunity. That's exactly what we're here for. Yep, even mermaids. So getting back to the opening of the film, <laughs> when he is diving 
and he finds that tunnel and he's feeling his way around the carvings. It appears to be like a sunken, like maybe some ruins or something or some kind of relics uh, that he stumbles across as he's Mm -hmm. diving in his dream. It turns out to be a dream. Spoiler alert. We'll get that in a second. Uh, Did did they ever come back to that? Was that temple ever shown to us in any place or was that or were we to assume something about that or like that's where these people came from or was that ever explained or, or is it, were they just showing us some ancient shit to kind of set the tone of the film and then we move on from that so so ryan now now's a good time to go ahead and openly admit if you fell asleep before this film ended no no i, I would didn't. like to know that <laughs> it's the ending of the film dude it's the very beginning and the very end of the film it's a bookend at the very end okay. that's so that's where we go into that passage okay so when he falls in uh all, all uh, now we're really gonna jump ahead and spoiler some shit but <laughs> yeah we're just going from the very beginning to the very yeah, end and then back the, again the, folks you're in for a 10 minute podcast episode uh Uh, dude we're already at 15 i hate to tell you so when he when he (laughs) falls into the cthulhu pit uh at the end and uh, with the mermaid chick um and he's all burnt and he finds out you know what his secret is and all of that that is where that's where the movie opens is in that what that yeah, okay. correct. Got it. And that's and that's basically like a harbinger to that ending because we see the mermaid girl who he ends up with and we see the passage that they go through. Got so it. Okay. That's what that is. Cool. When when the movie starts off proper, uh we have our main character. By the way, Ryan, I'm you know I'm atrocious with main character names. Do you know our main character's name? It doesn't matter, bro. It really doesn't. Just- <laughs> it does not matter at all. Nope. Okay, cool. Because here's you know because here's the great thing is when we don't know the main character's name, then we get to make up stuff. And then and, and and usually it's a little mocking. So like for this one, I'm going to call the main character Handsome Darren Aronofsky. Okay. Because I don't know why they chose a guy that looked like Darren Aronofsky to carry their film. Great filmmaker, just, you know, not posing for underwear ads. Uh, and they got this guy, and he's a whiny little bitch the whole time. And I just, I, that was one of the ones that I kind of really. Jeez. I guess we know how you feel about Darren Aronofsky now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure he's brilliant. Except separately. A, main character looks like Darren Aronofsky. B, he's a whiny little bitch. Unrelated. Two separate concepts. Unrelated. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, handsome Darren Aronofsky m- wakes up on a boat and he's next to uh, this woman who is obviously quickly uh, revealed to be his girlfriend. She's very pretty. And they're, on, like I said, on, on this boat and he learns that he came into a bunch of money through some stocks. And, you know, she the whole traditional thing where C- she's... Can we call his girlfriend... Uh- can we call his girlfriend Kirkland brand Claudia Schiffer? Because that's what she looks like to me is like good value <laughs> Claudia Schiffer. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Big box Claudia Schiffer. Got it. Yep. Excellent. Cool. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, wakes up next to uh, Kirkland Claudia Schiffer. The, the only thing, though, dude, can you do me a favor? I want you to try to say Kirkland Claudia Schiffer three times fast Just call her, right now. Call her Go. good value. Good value, Claudia Schiffer. That's what we'll call her. That's not at all what I said. What I said <laughs> is I would like for you to say Kirkland Claudia Schiffer three times quickly. Go. Kirkland Claudia Schiffer. Kirkland Claudia Schiffer. Kirkland Claudia Schiffer. Suck it. Bam! That's what's up, homie, with the elocution lessons. Yeah. Oh, shit, dude. You just made me look bad. Not hard. Not hard. <laughs> accurate yeah if i was in a movie uh some would call wow. me handsome jason peters uh <laughs> uh dude can you drop some unique new york shit on us 
Uh, no, no, we're not going to do that. Um, okay, let's move on. But but I I, <laughs> I do want to start every uh, every episode uh, from here on as saying. And joining me today is the man some call handsome Jason Peters, Ryan Siebold. And we can go from there. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to do that next time. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. So this girlfriend is feeling neglected. She takes the laptop that he uses to track his stocks and chucks it into the seat. He's like, oh, what are you doing? And then it's revealed there's an elderly couple that's on this boat. Right, Ryan, are, were they her parents? Do you know who the hell those people were? No. Um, I remember when they were in, <laughs> when they were in bed, uh, something about like she was lighting up a cigarette. She's like, it's Howard's boat. He said I could or something like that. So uh, I'm going to say oh. it has something to do with like maybe business partners because they didn't seem like when when the shit went down. When the ship went down, I should say. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, you better be ready. Uh, you, <laughs> when the ship goes yeah, down, see, you, you better be ready. You took us there. Thank you. I, <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't. So, um, yeah, when the ship goes down and they weren't ready, um, uh, nobody really seemed like <laughs> broke, the broken shit up out of about joke. it. Like it was anyone's parents. So I didn't really think it was anyone's like blood relative. I thought it was more like a business relation of his in some way, shape or form. Maybe. I don't know. But no, they never really explained that. Gotcha. I, never, I never picked up on it. Certainly. Yeah. I thought maybe it was like, oh, she's, you know, Hispanic and maybe she was like strongly Catholic or something. And so, you know, like they weren't married yet. Parents were there. I wasn't 100 percent sure what was going on. But yours makes as much sense. I think you're looking way too far into it. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah, you're not wrong. So anyway, so uh, we're introduced to all these people. They're uh, and then, you know, they're they're traveling, sailing through the seas, if you will. And all of a sudden there's this sort of, you know, very resonant hum that's emitting from this town that they're traveling quite close to. And, you know, uh, as, as they get close to it, the storm picks up and it sends the boat crashing into the rocks. Ryan, did you get the the vibe that they were trying to sort of intimate that like the the wind or the atmosphere was sort of sentient, like it recognized that they were there? Or, oh yeah, you know the town recognized they yeah, were there. Yeah, absolutely. And, That's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then oh man, one of the one of the absolute greatest shots of the entire movie. I think we can all agree with that. Is is the the capsized boat with the blood rushing out of the water, and then we get a just a beautifully animated scene from underneath the water looking up with 2001 barely sci-fi channel-level CGI. And I thought it was so weird that that shot even existed because that's one of those things where that shot alone cost, like, what, $10,000, $20,000 probably, especially at the time. Yeah. What did it achieve? I don't know. You've only got a million dollars and you've got to be really smart with your money. And you do this three second cutaway of like, I guess the point was to show the blood seeping into the water. And, you know, be, and, and and that's what ultimately calls the Dagon God from be, you know, the depths of the sea, if you Correct. will. Yeah, yeah. I, but I thought we that could have been communicated without a shot like that. That doesn't age too well. Yeah. I, I mean... I don't know. Maybe that's why they got the the sixteenth in association with at the beginning. They're like, we need to, we need to, <laughs> dude. My uncle's got ten grand. Just tell him he can have an association with credit at the opening of the film. Let's get, let's do this. That'll get us <laughs> sweet. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, uh, the elderly couple's kind of hurt uh, after the, the the boat capsizes, and a couple decides they're going to take a life raft into this town to search for help. They leave the parents behind and we see that the Blackwater 
and blood is sort of mixing together in the boat as it sprung this leak. And uh, so from there, handsome Darren Aronofsky and Kirkland brand Claudia Schiffer go into town. <laughs> it's sort of empty and weird and, you know, they can tell some stuff's afoot. Uh, right. And, and so, Ryan, I, I do want to say, like, one of the things that I appreciated about this film was the atmosphere and the pacing and the set design and all, everything that goes along with it. So, like, you know where they first come in and they're going through the town? It's right after they meet the priest and they're going to the hotel, I guess it is. And, you know, we've got sort of these weird sort of people that are sort of hidden. And then we start to see that they have these fish qualities. And, you know, we've got the camera sort of tracking down the street. There's some creepy people lurking in the background. I mean, I thought all of that was really effective, but it sounds like you didn't agree. No, I mean, it, it was effective for what it was. Yeah, definitely. Um, to, to what effect, though? Uh, I don't know, man. So there were a couple of things that I really love about everything you're describing. Uh, and this lent itself to this kind of ties into what we were saying earlier about it looking like it was from 1986. One of the reasons why it looks that way to me is the color gels that they used. Um, there is so much yeah. CTB and blue party gels for background ambience. <laughs> um, it looks like they just called up B&H and said, uh, photo and said, I'll take everything you've got, like whatever. B and that, that gives it <laughs> Give a very, me all the colors. <laughs> right. And it gives it a very like 80s Wes Craven Nightmare on Elm Street vibe. Like that's kind of how those movies were lit where with like red and orange and blue vibrantly in the background Correct, yeah and you light your subject there was a lot of cocaine going around the industry you light so your you know the colors reflected that yeah yeah uh you light your subject accordingly you know and get your skin tones right and then just slap blue on everything in the background and make it look and add water too you know with all the wet streets um so there's a lot mm -hmm. of like these are easy things that that you could do on a low budget to add mood and add tone um the morlocks or fish people or whatever you want to call them uh, the villagers uh, of sorts, they did have a like the the makeup and and the dark circles under the eyes and all of that and the the cloth hoods, the the monk robes and stuff. It had a very um to me. I, I wrote in my notes here. They all look like Marty Feldman from Young Frankenstein as Igor. <laughs> <laughs> so they, it kind of felt Excellent. that way when uh when Doctor Frankenstein uh gets to um to the castle and Igor is leading him around and doc and young Frankenstein. Uh, that's what that, that initial scene at the, the hotel. And it also kind of had a low budget hotel quality from El Mariachi too. I felt like the, it was when the Mariachi yeah. was like checking in and trying to get the keys and all of that. And it kind of felt like a, a telenovela. So uh, there's a lot of low budget, you know, imagery and, and stuff like that. Hey, to your point though, they did the best they could. And, and I think that it was, it, if you go along for the ride, it, it was cool. I like the 80s style, and it did make me want to use more party gels and colored gels and CTB and all of that. To, uh, it's a it's a, an easy way to really shove all in on, on some ambience and effect and tone, like what you're saying. So I don't hate them for it. It just is what it is. I mean, you kind of have to acknowledge, though, that, that you know, it does look like an 80s movie that was made in 2001, which I don't know what that says about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Ryan, have you seen From Beyond? Ooh, I don't think I have. Should I have? Okay, so uh so that's that's the other Stuart Gordon movie that I fell in love with where where it really brought him to my attention outside of Reanimator, of course. I think From Beyond is his best movie. I haven't seen all of his movies. I've probably haven't seen half of them. But I think From Beyond is better than Reanimator. And he uses the shit 
out of pink gels specifically in that movie uh and, and a lot of blues as well so like you know how recently with a lot of the cosmic horror adaptations from mandy to color out of space they've got that really funky neon pink and blue yeah. color aesthetic vfw has the same so this so from beyond as far as i'm concerned like popularized that aesthetic in the cosmic horror genre because from beyond is very much cosmic horror. So I, yeah, um, I just pulled this up. This is one of those movies. Uh, I I refer to as like a a box cover movie where I've seen it on the shelves at video stores, like my entire life. And I've mm. always wondered what was up with that. And I never rented it. Um, I should get to it because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it now and it's very, very, very recognizable. I'll also say the thumbnail for the trailer on YouTube, vibrant, hot pink. mm. Uh, so you're not wrong. Yeah. (laughs) They couldn't find yeah, a no, shot that's, that, that. That's the that's the film's vibe, yeah. And I and and unfortunately, the 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 guy's name eludes me at the moment. But it does feature the same actor, okay, as Reanimator. Cool, yeah. So Jeffrey Combs, uh, it says. So yeah, 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 absolutely. And just so you know, it is on our list. Oh, it is. It's on our master list. Oh, cool. Buddy. So there so is we'll a chance there. that we'll be able to pull that one. Day. We'll get there. It'd be funny if we pull it at the end of this show. Um, not to get off topic here too far, but Stuart Gordon also did a couple of movies. I don't know. Did you ever see Robot Jocks? That was big when I was a kid. Um, it was like mechs fighting Dude, it out. Yes. I actually like lost my shit when I found out about Robot Jocks because this isn't going to mean anything to you. But Robot Jocks was directed by Stuart Gordon, and it was written by a guy named Joe Halderman, who is legendary in sci-fi literature for making uh, one of the most popular sci-fi epics of all time called The Forever War. Oh, so cool. I like nerded the shit out on that. And of course, dude, I mean, you know, as a at the time, you know, eight to 10 year old boy, like, yeah, dude, giant robots fighting. That's so up my alley. Are you kidding? Like, well, back I love everything about that. Dude, yeah. I loved Real Steel. I loved Real Steel from like five years ago. That like fucking Hugh Jackman wrestling yeah, yeah, yeah. robot movie. Right. Great movie. Loved it. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind <laughs> I of a remake for of wrestling this, robots, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Sue me. No, I'm all Mech Warrior back in the day on PC. Amazing. Yeah. Robotech, all of it. Yeah. Uh when you know, any yeah. kind of Gundam stuff, uh, bring it. I'm all about it. Um Yeah, so he did that. He also wrote, and I had no effing idea that this happened until I just watched this movie. So if I came out of this podcast learning one thing, it's that uh, Stuart Gordon came up with the story for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I had no No idea that that was the thing. Yeah. No idea. So Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. I'd be curious what his original version was like. (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> he's like so uh so so the kids shrink and then they uh you know get absorbed into the guy's bloodstream and just hack away at the guy's insides and he slowly but surely deteriorates until he's a withered corpse which then gets taken advantage <laughs> of sexually so so here's the thing disney's like Stuart, we like the we like the miniature part here's the thing this ant this ant is horny <laughs> this ant is so horny and he's down there in the grass and he finds these kids right <laughs> it's like whoa 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 uh can we get joe johnston in here please uh could you uh sort this out <laughs> he's like and then check this out man we're gonna have the daughter fall in love with the ant and it's gonna be beautiful and amazing and they're like we're gonna half keep that yeah that- we're gonna leave enough of it that you're not sure and it's kind of creepy 
but we'll move on. It's a romance. So here's the deal. It's a romance. I see Stuart Gordon like, smoking a cigarette in some back Hollywood meeting conference room. Right. So there's a romance between an aunt and a, and a high school student. Uh, they get shrunken down. Uh, this is how it happens. So it's like, oh, Jesus. Was, was that it? Was that it? Was that sort of like an East Coast Chicago accent you just did for Stuart Gordon? Yeah. I have no idea what he sounds yeah. like, but it was uh, great. Well, he's from Chicago. Um, he apparently. Oh, is he? Yeah. So I, I, <laughs> I may be actually way more accurate than I intended to be. He uh, is known as like one of the godfathers of indie Chicago theater. Um, he's a, a, a playwright and a play director, stage play director, more than anything on wow. screen. And get this, he got his start back in the 60s uh, with his homie, David Mamet. And uh, he's worked with David Mamet no many, shit. many times. David Mamet wrote his eulogy when Stuart Gordon passed away last year. Um, and wow. Presented it. So uh, he and Mamet were like... Uh, you know, pretty tight, it seems like. I mean, if someone's going to write your eulogy. That is. And they've been working together since like dude. 68 or 69. Um, also, Stuart Gordon uh, got his start, uh, kind of came uh, claimed to fame, uh, producing a, an anti-Vietnam War protest version of Peter Pan, uh, starring all nude talent huh. where everybody was naked. And uh, I think he got arrested wow. for this, for him and his wife performing <laughs> this uh, and being naked on stage in public indecency. Um, he also, uh, uh, I know we need to get back to this movie, and I'm sorry I'm getting off on this, but these are all interesting little tidbits about, about Stewie G. So uh, he also inspired a comic book series. Um, he did a, a series of plays called Warp. Uh, which were like sci-fi based and, and when he started to dip his toe into science fiction. Um, and then that inspired uh, uh, some some uh, sci-fi comic books, a series of sci-fi comic books that uh, launched a, a handful of careers. People dabbled in and out of it in the early 80s. And I have one of these warp comics that I ended up picking up from a flea market. And it looked just like so over the top. Uh, and so when I was a kid, I picked this up back in the 90s and I still have it to this day. So if I could dig it out of my collection, which I still have, I'm going to go look for it. I remember very, very clearly having one of these. I'll uh, take a picture of it and post it up on our Twitter. Uh, so if you want to go find us on Twitter after this, I'll uh, I'll show you what Warp, warp Comics look like <laughs> at, at Esoterica Cinema. So eventually they stumble into the church they find the priest and he convinces the main character that they have to go to rescue their parents along with some fishermen uh, says they should leave the girl behind safely to find this hotel where they can take care of her you know he's kind of not really 100% certain but ultimately relents and decides ah this guy's not so bad he's helping us out but there's also this weird little sort of thing where we see that he has webbed hands and uh you know this is kind of starting to to set that seed a little bit in terms of what's going on with everyone sort of being like these fish people. And so he goes out to try to save, uh, you know, mom and dad or whoever the hell they are. And the girlfriend is unfortunately attacked by the clerk and the priest as soon as she gets to the hotel. So the main character gets to the boat. The parents are missing. He can't find them anywhere. Not sure what's going on. He returns to the hotel and, you know, as like I said, he's walking through all these crazy fish people are giving him weird looks. When he does finally get to the hotel, he sees that the clerk has the webbed hands. They give him this weird decrepit room. And that's where we get this scene where he's attacked by all these locals with these fish people. And, you know, again, Ryan, like I get that we're not in the realm exactly of like reality. But uh, the, the scene where he unscrews a very, very rickety sort of latch 
and then uses it and installs it on the new door and it like <laughs> holds back a freaking mob of like three dozen people that are banging it down. It's like, come on, dude, that was a Phillips head. Like that's not no how any of this works. That's holding up. <laughs> Again, I get we're going to take a lot of liberties with this film, but even then it was like, okay, dude, that's that's as far as you can go with no, that. No, I mean, that was like uh, the, the, uh, the, the mob. that was the visual cinema equivalent of the the meme with the the Cheeto in the lock, you know? I don't know if you've seen that meme with the, someone shoves a Cheeto in the lock and it's supposed to hold the door shut or something. That's what it felt like to me. Like, there's no way that's going to hold <laughs> anything. Yeah. Um, and these villagers are, are like, a, you know, the, the very uh, stereotypical, tropey, slow-moving threat if you will, you know, we see that in yeah. cinema a lot where it's just this ongoing, slow moving force. Nothing, you know, no one's running. These aren't 28 days later zombies. Um, they're fish people. They can barely walk. A lot of them are using canes. It looks like they're de-evolving into sea creatures of sorts. Um, so they're not very mm -hmm. spry. Uh, they're not even like the fish people from uh, the fish pirates from Pirates of the Caribbean that are all turning back into fish, which, you know, still have mobility and agility these are uh this is just felt more like the uh, that scene in particular felt more like the trash compactor scene from star wars where it's just a slow moving threat and you have a certain period of time to figure it out in one way or another and he decided to to take a lock and, and do all that but yeah they were really they were really milking that yeah they did and from there he jumps out the window he escapes finds this empty warehouse with uh with with dad's flayed body, right? That's where he sees that it's sort of been like, you know, ripped open and exposed. And he's like, oh, what's going on? So he basically like takes her this lighter that, you know, his girlfriend came because she's supposed to stop smoking. And, uh, you know, he lights the place on fire and escapes. And that's where we get the whole scene with the homeless guy who, by the way, man, like. I think that they I think that the actor tried to go really method in terms of playing a drunk. Because I could not understand half of what the <laughs> hell came out of his mouth. It yeah. was really, really hard to understand. Yeah. And they gave him the whole explanation of the origin story. So it's something you kind of want to keep up with <laughs> and know what's going on, you know, because he's about to drop some knowledge on you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, either way, enough of it does come across. So, you know, he he hides under the building, sees this homeless guy. You know, at first he thinks he's being attacked and then it turns out that he's not. Oh, and we also get that quick passing of uh <laughs> the, the 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 crippled guy that's supposed to be like the big baddie yeah uh which again i i i don't i don't have a name for him and as such i get to make up one so i think i'm gonna go with uh eddie murphy in trading places pretending to be a homeless guy except he's a fish man Perfect. that's that guy yeah well, because every single time he would pass by in his little cart i would just picture eddie murphy pretending to be blind in trading places <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, come on, man. Help me out. <laughs> <laughs> Old hobbles. But, um, yeah, I don't yeah know. so he finds a homeless guy and then they go they go into the whole explanation about what really happened here. So, yeah, he gives the. So here's story. the thing, like, you know, the, the we got 10 minutes of exposition and, and, and to do to drop on the viewer who, who what, what what device should we use? Oh, we'll get the mush mouth drunken homeless guy from Spain to do it. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be that'll make for an exciting know, 12 right? minutes of cinematic history. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, you know, the one thing they didn't have going for them is at least they have the visual retelling as well. You know, yeah. they it's not just, you know, it's not, okay, you know, we're going to give you five minutes of a, a slow push in, you know, zoom on your face as you tell this story. Like, he's like, yeah, nah, dude, we got to we gotta spell this out for our, our, our audience. And so, uh, you know, you do get the visual accompaniment. So basically the way that the whole thing works out is, you know, this guy was a boy and uh, the town experienced this hardship where they had no fish to eat or sell and they had no money. They were a Catholic community. They pray to God. Nothing, nothing changes. So then this priest who, who I believe was the, the priest that greeted them on the island uh, uses his sort of, you know, gold Illuminati chain thing to, you know, make a prayer to who ultimately is Dagon. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, after that, the next day, they're just swarmed with fish and gold from the sea, just washing up on store. Everyone's eating. Everyone's getting rich. As a result, the townspeople end up renouncing God and Jesus uh, from the Catholic religion, obviously. And they kill the priest with a sledge and they make the decision that they're going to pray to Dagon moving forward to the point that they actually kill anybody who continues to worship God or Jesus and belong to the Catholic faith. And I believe the homeless guy's dad was the one that they executed at the end of the story. Yep. I believe was the point of that. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, so, so, so that's basically, you know, the origin of how this evil was allowed to sort of take over this particular town. From there, the mob passes and our main character leaves, but he needs a car and there's only one and it belongs to Mr. Eddie Murphy, the cripple from Trading Places. <laughs> and so the homeless guy decides that he's going to provide a distraction and run out and then the main character is going to gonna try to steal the car <laughs> and again Ryan like I just I thought this was so hysterical that the weapon that they gave him to steal this car was a shitty little Swiss army knife <laughs> and there's like these giant fish people and you know crazy little Eddie Murphy demon guy and he literally opens the tiniest Swiss army man he's like stand back stand back I cut you I cut you it's like bro that thing couldn't spread butter homie like I really think you're gonna need something a little stronger to work with and then on production like, what the fuck, Stuart Gordon? Like, you couldn't just go to fucking props and be like, hey, you got a machete or even a dagger? Because all any of us have on us is this little tiny Swiss Army knife that we used to do pumps <laughs> in between takes. And that's all we got. And they were like, Stuart, you're out of money. And he's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to use the key bump. Here you go, handsome Darren Aronofsky. Just make the best with it. Someone pulled that literally out of their pocket on set. I think that... Uh, exactly. <laughs> what do we got? Oh, shit. The props department forgot the, the machete. Anybody got anything? <laughs> <laughs> I got my uh, multi-purpose tool. Yeah, sweet. Just give them that. Just give them that. <laughs> what do you want me to use? The just pliers? Like a, the like screwdriver? Like, I, the I cut you, man. I cut you. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought that was kind of funny. No, and literally, there, the, literally you know, the, the keys, uh, the keys to the car itself would have been more threatening and menacing, I think, than whatever <laughs> he was wielding. That was no good. Um, luckily, they were a slow Just moving. Chucking guy. the keys at them would inspire more fear. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, from there we get a you know, and then the next scene is batshit crazy because you know he's inside of this. Uh, or he's outside of the house, rather. It's this big house that they're all congregating at, and he escapes inside, 
and he he goes into the bedroom and that's where he sees the literal girl of his dreams mermaid girl and she's laying in bed you know she's got the covers up to um you know probably about her bosom or something like that so we don't see her legs and then you know dad in quotation marks like comes in and handsome Darren Aronofsky has to hide and we we hear them discuss in this you know ancient Cthulhu like voice dialogue whatever uh so we get that you know she's obviously some sort of demigod or priestess or whatever it is and they recognize each other from their dreams he goes to her they kiss she he pulls back the covers and all of a sudden it turns out that she's got giant ass tentacles for legs and they're really cgi and they kind of go all over the place and once again we have re-entered the realm of good old-fashioned mermaid fucking and it's to the point where I believe it's going to become a subgenre rather quickly. And I, I actually, and then I don't know if anybody saw the, the deleted scenes from the live action Little Mermaid. It was rather controversial. They tried to, to, to reenact a physical love scene between Prince Eric and Mermaid Ariel. Um, but some people got really upset, so they cut it. Is that real? Or are you making a joke? <laughs> I don't know. I need more. You had me <laughs> watch so much say? crazy Who's mermaid shit. Right. Yeah. I would believe anything at this point. <laughs> yep. I'm in. Whatever. <laughs> Excellent. It's either real or it's a playable lie. Either yeah. way, we're going to move Under forward. The sheets. It's true. Under the sheets. <laughs> Everything's better. Down where it's wetter. Under the sheets. <laughs> You're welcome, America. In certain parts that's, of that. That's Europe. a wonderful... Yeah, then oh, that's great. Can you do uh can you do Sebastian? Uh yeah, this is you just trying to like squeeze accents out of me today. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I want this so badly. <laughs> I mean, I just I I gave you a... Ariel, you've got to kiss the boy. What are you doing? Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, just gave you a rated Sebastian. R uh, Weird Al version of a Disney classic, so I don't know what more you want from me, Jason. <laughs> I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. I demand a lot from my co-hosts, bro. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, when he sees that she has the tentacles for legs, he appropriately freaks the fuck out. He's like, I got to get out of here. So, you know, he escapes again. And really, this movie is him just escaping one situation to another, which honestly, you could probably say the same thing about Bond. Uh, it's probably just more the genre than anything else. But he finds himself in another building, and he's attacked by this sort of, I don't know, tentacle man or fish man or something. And, <laughs> again, I thought this was funny, too, because the guy who's attacking uh, Handsome Darren Aronofsky ends up trying to drown him in a toilet. And the funny thing is that this entire house is completely flooded. There's, like... Four feet of water waist high <laughs> that this dude could just drop this in, literally stand on him and take care of this so easily. But instead, he's like, where am I going to find some water? Ah, the toilet. The toilet. That's six inches that'll work for me. Yep. I'm going to drag <laughs> so, him over. You know, he tries to drown. <laughs> and so he literally has to drag him through multiple feet of water to get him to the toilet <laughs> with its tiny inches worth. And then he jams it in there and the old, uh, you know, porcelain tray top of the toilet to the head behind you, bam, takes care of the situation. Except, oh no, our, our main character still got kidnapped by captured by some sort of net or something. 
However, there's a but, because when he wakes up, it turns out he was saved by Barbara and the homeless guy. Barbara's the name of the girlfriend, in case we didn't touch on that. Uh, I'm sorry, I said Barbara. What I meant was Kirkland Brand Claudia Schiffer and the homeless guy. Yep. Wake up. There we go. There we go. Grandma's safe, but she's missing a leg. And uh, unfortunately, they are all soon attacked by these mutant townspeople. And Grandma goes Harry Carey, just sacrifices herself right then and there to save... Kirkland, Brand, Claudia Schiffer, and Handsome Darren Aronofsky. So, but it would turn out that it's actually Ryan all for naught because they would still end up getting captured when they wake up, rather when our main character wakes up. Uh, he's chained up, and we see the homeless guy is captured by, you know, this mob. And we're in where we saw Walter, uh, Grandpa, get flayed earlier before. And then we actually see the fling. Now, Ryan, this is probably the most effectively gruesome scene of the film. Yeah, this is where it took a hard turn. Yeah, yeah. So the priest slits the throat of the homeless guy and then proceeds to literally carve his face off with a knife and just, like, tearing and then it gets to a certain point you know it's like up to the eyes or something and then he just grabs it and he's literally tearing it off of the skull and you just see all of the blood and viscera and tendons and crap like that really effectively done really gruesome scene and then i think they go and they like carve skin from his back as well like they're just hacking this dude to pieces because what we see in the next scene is that all the people that are congregating that end up worshiping the mermaid uh, fish princess girl that he quote unquote you know loves or whatever it is uh yeah they're like they've got the like you know buffalo bill skin face suit leather face whatever you want to call right, it yeah, where yeah, they basically yeah. take the skin I, I saying it out loud right now maybe it has something to do with humanity right um because you know they're half fish well that's God, the thing because one of them takes man. a mask off and he's got like full cthulhu tentacle face you know he he's squid man yeah exactly so I think they're kind of hiding their imperfections and trying to, you know, stay in disguise or whatnot, you know, and that's why they all wear the cloaks and the hoods and all of that, because uh, as it's slowly revealed to us, they all start to have gills and webbed fingers and feet, and they're all in like certain stages of evolution or de-evolution or whatever you want to call it to start to turn back into sea creatures uh, of sorts. Again, very a la Pirates of the Caribbean, um, you know. Yeah, well, I think actually, so I don't even know that it's so much an evolution or de-evolution. I think what it is is it's that the the intimation is that Dagon is breeding with humans. So that's like exactly what Barbara was chained up for and to be offered as a sacrifice to Dagon for in the pit. Right, So right. I think that they send the girls down, Dagon breeds with them, sends them back up, and then they that's have right. half that's fish right. god, half human children. Yep, yep. So he's cranking out some So I think Dagon houses. is like... Yeah, yeah, Dagon's just just cranking out cranking out franchises like a factory. So like all of these people are ultimately children of Dagon. Yeah. Um so yeah, so and you know, uh and and even though the main character is held up, he is able to escape. He grabs a knife that is substantially larger than a Swiss army knife. He's able to kill the priest. He grabs the gas can. Uh, you know, finds the the secret tunnel to escape through. When he gets there, he finds that in fact, yes, Barbara, his girlfriend is chained up. Uh, she's she's being tortured by the priestess, and then she gets chained up and and hung over a pit that drops into the ocean. And the idea is that she is going to, as we just mentioned, be sacrificed uh, to Dagon 
uh, as as a, a a mother to his children, like 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 he uses human women to breed with. So they've got her held up, and eventually, you know, the main character, handsome Darren Aronofsky, is able to save the day by lighting everyone with gas and taking her lighter and lighting the place on fire. Except that during that, they do drop that lever, and so Barbara ends up going crashing down through the pit into the sea. And after the handsome Darren Aronofsky is able to effectively take care of all of the fish people, he does run to the crank lever, whatever, you know, cranks her back up from the sea, but she's covered in black. And so I believe, you know, the insinuation is that uh, she was still attacked. Maybe, you know, the, the breeding wasn't able to take place. I don't know, because she said if, like if, that, right? if, if I ever get uh, inseminated by this Cthulhu bastard, you need to kill me. And when they bring her back up, she's like, yeah, it's too late. Kill me. Kill me. So, uh, oh, yeah, I think yeah. it was too late. I think that he got her sl- his sludge on her. I think that, uh, hey, man, Cthulhu's a one-pump chump. That's what we found out. He, that guy can't hang in the sack. <laughs> <laughs> guy's got things to do, man. Yeah, he's been cooped up for like 3,000 years or little- whatever. I don't know, you know. Yeah, also little known fact, Dagon does not believe in the the female orgasm. Actually, he he's been on record as as saying that. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think he cares. He's an <laughs> evil guy. What what else do evil guys not care about? He is know? so evil as a matter of fact that he doesn't take no for an answer and instead of just letting handsome Darren Aronofsky kill Kirkland Brand Claudia Schiffer, Dagon jumps up through that pit and we get a second awesome CGI scene that does not age well 20 years later (laughs) uh, of just, you know, this sort of mass of of pixels that are purple and whatever the hell, and it just kind of looks like a a globule, and it jumps up, still snatches Barbara, and then jumps down into the sea. So, you know, she does not make it uh, unless she's making it with Dagon. Yeah, she's done deal. (laughs) Yeah. Now, from there... um, you know, crippled Eddie Murphy from Trading Places, he's actually revealed to be the main Cthulhu-ish creature, right? And he, in th- all, through him and the priestess character, it's revealed that handsome Darren Aronofsky is actually the half-brother of that same priestess that's falling in love with him. And Ryan, once again, we find ourselves with a film... Where the uh. primary antagonist's main goal is to create a pure bloodline all right, by keeping all of the breeding uh. within the family. This is our third movie, Ryan. What the hell? What the hell? <laughs> Why is this a thing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's so weird, dude. It's so weird. Uh, but anyway, so so what? What? You know, so our, our main stop, gear- stop, 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 stop. So the, you need to explain. <laughs> <laughs> so Wait a minute, buddy. This. You're not getting away that easy. Hold on. No, 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 no. Come back here, bro. Come back. Yeah, uh, you're not getting through this uh, without without uh, some some explaining to do. So real quick, was that? <laughs> and I say real quick, hesitantly. Um, was that was that his dad or mom? Like, how is he related to her? In what way? I forget. I, I swear, I didn't fall asleep during this gotcha. part. I was awake. I was paying attention. Uh, how is his lineage connected to... Uh, yeah, how is handsome Darren Aronofsky yeah. connected so, to uh, Cthulhu yep. and the Mermaid Woman? So, very uh, very simply, they are half-brother and sister. So, ultimately, everybody is a child of Dagon. But I suppose Dagon bred with women of a particular stature or something like that. 
uh, and birthed the priestess as well as our main character, Handsome Darren Aronofsky. And so... So his mom. They have different moms, but the same dad. And so, yeah, so they're both children of Dagon. Ultimately, like everyone else, but they have some sort of special designation, most likely due to their mother. Okay. Yeah. uh, uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because in the beginning of the film, when they're on the boat, something like uh, she was doing some bilingual shit and he's like yeah my mother wouldn't even let me learn spanish and that makes sense now now that i think about it because then yeah she was trying to save him from that and and like take him away from that i'm Correct. assuming um that's yeah no that's a that's a really good observation i didn't pe- catch up on it but you're 100 correct okay totally, cool totally yeah, yeah yeah so so uh mermaid chick and uh with the tentacle spongebob tentacle pants uh and and uh handsome darren aronofsky have the same mother different fathers no, 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 no. They're both, no, different mothers, oh, same father, which because is Because the father is the Cthulhu monster in the pit. Correct. Yes. Yeah. No, the, the the monster is called Dagon. You keep calling it the C- 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 Cthulhu monster. The Cthulhu monster is the guy, uh, you know, uh, uh, Blind Eddie Murphy from Trading Places guy. Got so that's it, like the it, Cthulhu it. who's sort of like the general. And yeah. then there's Dagon who's, you know, the King Deagling. And okay. he's the one who does all the breeding and has the royal bloodline, et cetera. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I th- so, we're, we're saying the same and, thing in different uh, ways, but as long as I understand. Correct. That's that's kind of what we do usually, bro. So <laughs> the main character. Stars, great ratings, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> the main character pours gas on himself because he's not going to go through with it, lights himself on fire, and then drops himself into this giant pit. Now, the problem is that he, he goes, you know, lands in the ocean, and instead of drowning or anything else, he starts breathing and all of a sudden he realizes that he has some like gills on his ribs or his chest or something like that. And, you know, he looks over and he sees, you know, mermaid chick and she's there with him. And so then they start, you know, floating around under the sea, under the sea. And all of a sudden they get to the part where they see the giant tunnel opening ornate entrance from the very beginning of the film. And, you know, it's supposed to be, I think, uh, I, I believe what it is, is it's like the passage to Dagon's world, you know, like, all right, let's go see dad. You know, he's in the, the very depths. It'd be like going to visit Hades in the underworld, right? Yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. That's how I, the bottom yeah. of the ocean. And then right. there's like, yeah. So, so I think that they, you know, have that little moment and then they go through and we sort of fade to black and the movie's over. So that yeah, was Dagon, I just didn't man. see the, I just I didn't thought, see the, uh, the ornate stuff that they showed us in the opening. I didn't notice. That was the thing I didn't notice. It was all kind of really dark and done. Uh, you just saw like silhouettes swimming past camera. It was kind of indistinct. Uh, I mean, you knew what was happening because of, I mean, you kind of get the gist, but uh, yeah. Also, I think I was yeah. packing up at this point. I think I was like wrapping it up with putting my, <laughs> <laughs> putting my notes away and, you know, putting myself in my pocket, taking a deep, heavy sigh. Um, yeah. So wondering what I did, you know, wrong Absolutely. in my life to deserve this, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah and and i believe we both did you watch it on amazon as well i did yeah just through streaming yeah so they only have it available in sd so it wasn't even like we got to see the like you know collector's edition blu-ray that's out there like it was you know you're watching it a through streaming and b in standard def one or the other is going to be bad enough you combine them both it's like yeah it's probably not the best representation of that film but once again you know million dollar films do not tend to look like hundred million dollar films it's just the way it goes and yet, maybe it was the best, because I don't know that I needed to see this in 4K <laughs> UHD. <laughs> I contrast, uh, you know, uh, I, 
let yeah. some of the imperfections be hidden and, and lost to history. You know, standard def is good enough sometimes, and uh, that's what they gave us. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Absolutely. So, uh, all right, Ryan. So let's go ahead and let's wrap up this segment of Dagon as we always do with three adjectives and our star slash grade rating. Ryan, hit me with them adjectives, bud. First up, I have schlocky. Uh, and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. That's kind of Stuart Gordon's deal from what I've seen of him. Um, I definitely have some catching up to do uh, with From Beyond. I can't wait to get to that in a bit. Uh, but obviously, Reanimator was very schlocky. Uh, this had moments of that as well. Uh, you just kind of got to lean into it. Uh, the, the cheesy makeup, some of the effects, the CGI that didn't hold up. Um, you know, look, there's moments where this literally does feel like... I mean, this makes... This makes Sharknado feel like Avatar sometimes. So you just kind of got to go in, <laughs> go into it realizing that and, uh, you know, appreciate it for what it is. There were some good performances. I loved the uh, mermaid chick, dude. She was creepy as shit. Her bug eyes were yeah. bananas. Her, like, creepy stare when they would Absolutely. do, like, the super close-ups and stuff. Um, so I, I, I'm not all against it. Uh, my second one kind of leads into some of that, and that is uh, a word that I made up here, and that is Argento-esque. Uh, had a little bit of a Dario Argento wow, feel solid. to it with the hard blues and and, uh, you know, the, the the colored gels and some of these things. It did remind me and harken back to movies like Suspiria um, that, you know, facilitated a lot of that to maybe a better effect, um, you know. Uh, but, hey, uh, you know, points for trying a lot of Dutch angles and stuff like that as well. Uh, and then my last yeah. one, uh, meh. You know, it just kind of, <laughs> I, I, uh, I feel neither here nor there about it. This was a movie that I liked. I didn't love. I didn't hate. It just kind of was meh. You know, it was vanilla ice cream, no toppings. Um, you know, and when we're looking at this list, you know, it's like I'm in Basket Robins and I'm looking at all these diverse flavors. And then, you know, it's like, and today's flavor is vanilla. And it's like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> So that's yeah, kinda... dude. But see, it was like it was the vanilla bean, or it was like French vanilla. It has some sort of wrinkle where you're like, I'll give it a shot. Double vanilla, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it, I just uh, no, dude, no. That's it was neither here nor there for me. I think Stuart Gordon has some better outings. Um, like I said, I, I I would like to dive into uh, Edward at some point with Bill Macy, written by Mamet. Uh, based on a stage play. I think that would be cool. This from beyond psychedelic horror film from 86, all about it. But uh, this one just kind of fell in the middle somewhere towards the end of his career. Not much of a budget. Took 73 production companies to get it together. Um, I just kind of felt like uh, there were moments that that definitely rang true that I was all in. Dude, that that skinning alive scene was nuts. And that was classic Stuart Gordon. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there was definitely, you know, some things to latch on to to love about this movie. Uh, there's some reasons to watch it. But, uh, you know, just don't don't expect your life to change afterwards. It just kind of is what it is. The one film of his that I really want to see, and I had no idea that it was his, and it's totally another one of those video box movies, was Dolls. Have you ever seen Dolls? No, no, I've never seen that. Yeah, I haven't either. Yeah, that's that's totally a, a Stuart Gordon one, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Is that I'll on our list, I'll give too? you my three adjectives. Huh? Is that on our list, too? No, no, it's not. I can put it on. You want me to put it on? Yeah, we can do that. Let's put it on. Throw it on! Stuart Gordon getting some love here. I'm going to throw dolls on that list. Maybe, should we do it before we pull this week? Or should we do it after? No, no, we'll do it after. All right, we'll do it for next time. Okay, my three adjectives. Ryan, we're hanging out too much because my first one is schlocky. 
You took it from me. You bashed it. Oh, man. You always uh, say, too. You're like, I got to stop letting you go first. And then here we are. I'm (laughs) So, uh, you know, Ryan Ryan said that very well. I'm going to go ahead and let that one go. My next one is Efficient. I thought it was a really efficient film. Look, this film obviously did not have a lot of money. And outside of some extraneous CGI, which I would argue the second, you know, showing Dagon probably needed to happen. Certainly that first, you know, where the where the boat hits the rocks didn't need to happen. But in general, we're talking about a really efficient movie that knew it didn't have a lot of money. And so it used what it had effectively. You talked about a lot of the gels and the colors to make things more visually interesting, whereas maybe they wouldn't otherwise. You know, we still get some some pretty solid fish people effects. You know, they were they weren't earth shattering, but they didn't look, you know, super cheesy direct to DVD or anything like that. Like the effects were solid enough in terms of the makeup and, you know, the webbed feet and the gills and all that sort of stuff. Um, Effective use of jump scares, atmosphere. So I thought that for a movie that cost a million dollars and it kept moving. That was the other thing I didn't point out earlier, I believe, is like this film was never boring. Like it never slowed down. Like it wasn't it wasn't always amped up to 11, but it keeps this nice seven to eight and a half the entire movie. And so. You know, it wasn't like a series of peaks and valleys. Yeah, he, they're being chased the whole time. It's a slow-moving threat the, the entire time. That's why, I, like I said, this entire movie kind of compares to, just mo- like I said, scenes like, like Star Wars with the trash compactor, where it's just a you know, slow move. I don't know. The, the villagers kind of had like a, I also, I also kind of like thought maybe crab people from, the, from South Park. You know, crab people. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome. Just like, if they just chanted that while they're following up through the streets. Crab yeah. people. Fish people. Crab. <laughs> it was very much like that. So, uh, but the pacing was constant. Absolutely. There was never any slow, yeah. you know, aside from the, the, the homeless guy that did the exposition dump for 10 minutes in an, another language. Yeah. Um, other than that, it was, uh, I agree with you. The pacing was solid. Yeah, yeah, and then the last adjective I have is it was just fun. I know you thought it was meh. I had a good time, man. I enjoyed the fish people. I enjoy, you know, I really like cosmic horror. And look, cosmic horror is something that translates into literature difficultly enough, you know. So trying to capture intangible threats and demons and things like that, I mean, that's that's tough to do. And so I I felt like they, they did a good job. It's not that often that you get to see a movie featuring some, you know, ancient god from the depths of the sea and fish people and tentacles and mermaid fucking and all that sort of stuff, man. So, you know, it it, it delivered what I was looking for. I had a good enough time. I would even go I would even go out on a limb. Ryan, I th- I think I'm going to say this is probably my second favorite shitty horror movie that I've seen where, where it's like, you know what? Yeah. Not a, not, not a great film at all. You know, we can't lump it in with these, you know, nightmare on Elm streets or hereditaries or anything like that. You know, it doesn't need to go in the historical Canon. What to me, it reminded me, my response that is not in terms of being a film, but my response to the film reminded me a lot of tales from the crypt demon night. Are you familiar with that one, dude? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I like that movie. I dude, I love that movie, and it's kind of the same thing. Like, it's not. I mean, that one has great actors, dude. Billy Zane and all of them. I mean, it's that's you know William Sadler. That's wonderfully cast. But it was just, it didn't take itself too seriously. It had fun. It knew that you were there for like cool supernatural shit and demons, and so it didn't shy away from that. It didn't do that thing where you know eighty minutes of the ninety minute movie is 
you know, just close-ups and people walking and drawn-out stuff, and then, you know, you get three seconds of monster, and then here we go, and then, you know, like, they really, they really embraced it, especially in that third act, and I appreciated that. Okay. So, yeah, cool. Ryan, as we always do, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this film with a formal rating. What you got for us in the grade department? I'm going D plus on this. I'm going to disagree with you on the second greatest shitty movie of all time. I uh, I think this is the, you know, the the meh, the, the mayest shitty movie of all time. <laughs> this was unsalted butters, Man. big old spoonful of it. Uh, vanilla ice cream. You I mean, said, still you ice said cream. D plus is in David, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's rough, bro. No, I mean, it's, it's slightly Undeserved. below passing. That's how I look at it. Like if C no. is middle of the road. Uh, this is slightly below middle, like middle of the road. So I'm going to give this a, a D plus. Uh, there were some things this movie did well, but, uh, overall it just kind of was. And, and I don't think I'll ever go back and rewatch it or recommend it to anybody. There are so many other movies that I would, you know, recommend to get this effect or, or to get the schlockiness or anything like that, whether it's a trauma film or like I said, an Argento film or a Wes Craven movie. I mean, there are so many examples or even other Stuart Gordon films. I mean, fuck's sake. Like I said, we were talking about two or three others that we can't wait to watch that may end up doing what this movie does better. I just think that this was maybe towards the tail end of his career. Not a lot of people were shucking out funds for this kind of stuff back then. The technology wasn't there, but it was passed using practical effects. Um, so, you know, the, the CGI suffered, uh, we didn't get enough Cthulhu, uh, you know, the, the, the stuff that it did well is when Stuart Gordon was in his element, which like I said, the skinning stuff, the body skinning stuff, any of the facial facial makeup, like the Cthulhu squid guy and stuff like that. Any practical effects, the webbing. I love that. They did use overuse the dark circles under people's eyes. That was like a little party city Halloween makeup looking, but, uh, outside of that and the acting was, you know kind of in tune with what you'd expect as well. So here and there, uh, you know, the, there were things that did okay, but uh, overall, I think that there are better versions of this out there. And I don't, I don't want to give this any more than a D plus. Wow, dude, you're a brutal critic, bro. You're brutal, man. I actually am not only going to watch this again. I'm going to go buy that uh special collector's edition Blu-ray and add it to my collection. <laughs> I, I'm not even joking. Nice. Did I really enjoy this movie? Awesome. And here's the thing. I don't, I, to your point, I don't think there's better versions of this movie. Like, tell me what other movie I'm going to find a giant deep sea fish god fucking mating with all these townspeople and creating this weird fish community thing. Tell me another film. Man, tell me a better version of this movie. That's pretty specific. <laughs> I know I it is. Yeah. That's my point. I'll find one for you, though. I'll find one for you. <laughs> All right, so uh, in the spirit of that, bro, I'm giving this one four and a quarter out of five stars. Wow. I really enjoyed it. Holy it is not a great movie, smokes. but it is a very enjoyable movie. And like I said, you don't get this stuff anywhere else. Effective use of limited funds, effective use of atmosphere. You're wrong. It's a good movie. Bam. That's what's up. Okay, uh, I'm gonna need <laughs> I'm gonna need someone listening to this, please. Uh, one out of the four or five of you, uh, please, please, please get on to at Esoterica Cinema uh, on Twitter and uh, at me. We, you know, they say don't at me, at me. I need to know. <laughs> I need to know if I'm wrong here. Let me know if this was a solid movie. Just, I mean, watch the trailer. You'll get the gist and uh, and get back to us. Um, I will go on record as saying that uh, the fact that there's no clips to use for this episode 
probably means I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like you said, guys, reach out, you know, let us know if you're Team Jason or Team Ryan on this one. We'd love to hear from you at Esoterica Cinema on Twitter, EsotericaCinema at gmail.com. We will be right back after this commercial, and we are going to look at Bowfinger. From the imagination of acclaimed author Ashton McCauley comes the next great American anti-hero, Nick Ventner in Whiteout. Nick is a bit of a lush, preferring whiskey to water and bar hopping to exercise. But when a mysterious benefactor hires Nick to find the lost gates of Shangri-La, Nick sobers up just enough to take on the case. Featuring non-stop action and a hilarious wit, Whiteout by Ashton McCauley is a laugh-a-minute thrill ride that will keep you turning the pages until the very end. Whiteout, available now in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions, online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature. Come on, get my door just as fast as you get time, Hanks. Kit Ramsey is the biggest star in Hollywood. Yeah, that's sharp. Do the thing. Yeah, it's bad. I'm gonna look good in that. Bobby Bowfinger is a small-time producer. Hey, Jerry, how are you? Bobby Bowfinger, Bowfinger yeah, Films. Nice. We worked together on that thing, you know, a couple of years ago. What thing? That, uh, the, uh, the famous movie. Hey. Bobby needs Kit. You bring me this script and Kit Ramsey, and you got yourself a go picture. A go picture! A go picture! This script is butter. What? Butter, butter. This stuff is butter. It's all good. It's cheeky, baby. Kit doesn't need Bobby. Now get off the property. How are you gonna make the movie with Kit Ramsey? He said no. You don't think I thought about that? You don't think I worked that out? We have our actors walk up to him and say their lines, and he's in our movie. You prefer alien love. Alien love? Why'd you say alien love? Strange people are coming up to me on the street and speaking some some secret white language that I can't decode. But when you can't get Hollywood's biggest star, he's vanished, gone. There must be a lot of guys who look like Kit. We'll round up some lookalikes. You have to improvise. Would you be willing to show your naked rear end in a movie? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Now, the con is on. I tell you what, it's some covert stuff going on. And Kit Ramsey is giving the performance of a lifetime. Hey, open the door! His fear is so real. Go, 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 Freddy! Universal Pictures and Imagine Entertainment present a new film from the producer of The Nutty Professor and the director of in and out Oh! Steve Martin. You are going to run from over there to over here. I get it. But doesn't that seem a little dangerous, though? <laughs> no, 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 no. Eddie Murphy. Uh, action! Really good! Really good! I don't want to do this anymore! And Heather Graham. This is one of the hot scenes. Because in this scene, Daisy's going to take off her blouse. <laughs> Bowfinger. Action! Awesome. All right, guys, that was the trailer for Bowfinger from Frank Oz in 1999, the single best year in cinematic history. Ryan, kick us that description for Bowfinger. All right, coming from Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Bowfinger is described as being on the verge of bankruptcy and desperate for his big break. Aspiring filmmaker Bobby Bowfinger, played by Steve Martin, concocts a crazy plan to make his ultimate dream movie. Rallying a ragtag team that includes a starry-eyed ingenue, 
played by Heather Graham, a has-been diva, played by Christine Baranski, hadn't seen her in a while, and a film studio gopher, played by Jamie Kennedy. He sets out to shoot a blockbuster featuring the biggest star in Hollywood, Kit Ramsey, played by Eddie Murphy, only without letting Ramsey know he's in the picture. Uh, Eddie Murphy also plays a dual role as his uh, twin brother, uh, or brother of sorts, kind of doing a nutty professor thing. Uh, this is directed by Frank Oz back in 1999. Jason, tell me what the hell you're talking about. 99 being the greatest year in cinematic history. I have to know what I'm what I'm missing. What other movies came out in 99? I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised you're asking that question, Ryan. I would have thought that was self evident just by the uh, release list of the year. So look, here's the thing, man. Like we can talk about this. I mean, I could I could dedicate like an entire separate program to this with you in terms of just talking about the impact that the films that 1999 had relative to where filmmaking and the industry as a whole was at when those films came out. But I'm still going to go ahead and I'm going to give you, again, just list off some real quick here just to let you know the types of films that we're talking about. So in 1999, here are roughly a dozen films that came out. Office Space, The Insider, Eyes Wide Shut, Go!, South Park the Movie, The Green Mile, Being John Malkovich, Magnolia, Three Kings, The Matrix, Fight Club, and American Beauty. Come on, Ryan. What the hell? That is, that is a list of some of just like 12 of the pretty much, I mean, sort of, you know, maybe eyes wide shut, but like those are like top 10 films in cinematic history right there, dude. And those all came out in 1999, uh, in a, in a, uh, what, what films though? South, like you're putting South park. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love me some South park, but <laughs> you're putting South park as one of the greatest films of dude, all time. Is, South park is okay. So South park is one of the greatest comedies of all time. I will absolutely say it's one of the greatest satires of all time that I would say. Absolutely. I mean, and yeah, maybe the wow. animation doesn't hold up over time. It's, it's a little rough to go back. No, to, but no, like, but those, but dude, those songs are brilliant. Dude. What, what, what those songs are hilarious. They still, no, no, I up. get it. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. What would Brian so, Boitano do? I'm all about, dude, I saw that movie so many times in theaters. Absolutely. Was it was a formative just, film. So here's I'm going to double down and I'm I'm going to fight you on this. Ready for this? Yes. Um, I think 1994 is the greatest year for cinema in cinematic history. Personally, that's what okay. I'm thinking. Um, you got movies like Pulp Fiction. You got Shawshank Redemption. You got Forrest Gump. Uh, you have The Crow. Um, you've got uh, Usual Suspects. <laughs> um, you got Leon the Professional. You got Ed Wood. That's, those are some, those are really, really good movies. Yeah. No, those Ace are awesome. Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber launched Jim Carrey's career. You got Clerks came out that year, which uh, launched Kevin Smith's career. There's a lot of stuff going on in indie cinema at that time uh, that I'm describing here. Um, yeah. I, I think 94 personally takes okay. the cake for me. Um, Legends of the Fall. Ryan, now here's, now, now here's the thing. Those in the are Mouth kind of Madness. Like, those movies that I just listed are kind of like all like, movies from like my personal list let me give you another list of roughly half a dozen a little more films that came out in 1999 that i wouldn't put on my list necessarily but any of these might hit so we've got man on the moon 
Okay, we've got Notting Hill, which is like one of the great romantic comedies that everyone loves. Cider House Rules, American Pie, if you recall, my still to date my best theatrical experience. We talked about that previously. We've got Audition from Mike, The Talented Mr. Ripley, Analyze This, which is hysterical. Toy Story 2, a lot of people think that's the best one. Iron Giant, which I know is a personal favorite of yours, buddy. Uh, Galaxy yeah, Quest, no which is just a hilarious satire that a lot of people like. And to tap it all off, dude, baby fucking geniuses, bro. That shit revolutionized the industry. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know, man. I'm going to... I would love to hear from any one of our listeners. If you want to reach out to us at Esoterica Cinema uh, on Twitter, please get at us because I uh, I need to hear what you think uh, the greatest year in cinematic history would be. Uh, I'm sure we'll get some stuff from the 70s, um, you know, or 60s even. Uh, you know, some of the classic auteurs and whatnot that had contributed. But for my money, I think it all changed in 94. I think that was the the shift from what everybody was doing to what everybody's doing now. And uh, yeah. I just, I, I think that's the greatest year for uh, movies of all time. It gave us Cabin Boy, uh, <laughs> which you've seen, but that is fantastic. We need to add that to our list. I'm looking down, I'm like, holy shit, I forgot about Cabin Boy. We need to... Oh, dude, that, that was one of those movies I wanted to like so bad, and it was just not. It was awful, <laughs> dude. It was so awful. My pipes are clean. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those movies that's really funny to reference, and they have like you know the the George Malay like you know rocket in the face moon that's talking to him. Like, yep, yeah. There's so much cool stuff where just in a vacuum, these scenes are are funny to reference, but like I know you're I just know. like I you're like yeah, dude, they're there was there was not a sober mind associated with this film all along every step of the way, dude. Like on no, set, no, pre-production, no, no, post, like it's 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 the it's the equivalent of like a trauma comedy or something like that. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. It's it's absolutely apeshit. And it was Adult Swim before Adult Swim existed to kind right. of show how that was all gonna go down. But uh, anyways, I digress. Bowfinger, nineteen ninety nine. The greatest year in cinematic history. Uh, Jason, <laughs> what did you think about this movie? I freaking loved this movie, dude. Like I and full disclosure, man, this is one of those movies that I watched a ton when it came out. I mean, I watched this movie religiously uh, when it came out, you know, at least every month, if not, you know, several times. Like I had I'd seen it several dozen times over the course of my life. So it was a. Uh, yeah, I, I just really enjoy it. And and but the funny thing is, even given that, I hadn't seen it in at least a decade. It was one of those movies where for whatever reason it completely fell off. And then that's exactly the type of movie that we want to do here on Esoterica Cinema. That's why we do these this show and these movies is to kind of bring attention to stuff that either never got the attention it deserved in the first place, or history just kind of forgot about it for whatever reason. So if this yeah, episode no gets anybody even if even just one person out there watches Bowfinger as a result of our episode, I would have called it a success. I mean, it's just it's that funny, dude. So after this, like this is kind of the last major thing I remember seeing from any of those guys, because after this, Eddie Murphy kind of went along to do the Shrek movies and Dr. Doolittle and all of that nonsense and kind of went into family fair for a bit. Steve Martin. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing Steve Martin did after this was Novocaine, which I don't know if you ever saw that, but that's kind of a 
crazy movie. Um, I liked it a lot, but that's kind of the end of Steve Martin's acting career of sorts. He did the cheaper by the dozens films and like stuff like that. But again, uh, he shifted and transitioned out of the Steve Martin we know and love. And uh, Frank Oz, same thing. Like there was nothing really after this that Frank Oz did that I was super stoked about. Uh, Death at a Funeral remake and stuff like that. But uh, outside of that, uh, this was kind of the deal. So, um, and I'm huge fans of all these people. Like I'm a big, 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 big Muppets nerd. And, uh, I love Steve Martin's career throughout. I love Eddie Murphy's career throughout. I love all these guys and it was great to see them all together, uh, for one last romp. And, and it's so worthy of all three of them too. Like I just loved <laughs> this movie. I, I was wondering when I put this on, I was curious if it would hold up. And, uh, and it absolutely did. I was guffawing the whole time I watched this, which maybe <laughs> was an overreaction, but, uh, yeah, I, I just loved it. Yeah. Same. So, all right, listeners, Ryan, it's yet again, time for another cinematic confession. Oh, this geez. time it starts already. Yep. Already there, dude. And, uh, Oh boy, this is gonna hurt because I know this is a I know this is a really big deal for you. But Ryan, I have never seen a Muppets movie. What? Any of them? Not the original. Not Escape from Manhattan or New York or wherever the fuck they leave. Uh, not in space. Oh, not on Treasure Island. Good not in Lord. Christmas. None. So I, I literally have never seen a Muppet movie, and I know as you just mentioned, let alone the remakes with with Jason Siegel or whatever. Like, yeah, dude. That there it is, man. I'm sorry oh, to disappoint you. Man. I know that's like really, Jason. really disappointing to you. You understand the Muppets are like the Kurosawa of felt and foam, right? Like <laughs> they're they're it. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it, dude. I did. I I don't know. I did it, does Fraggle Rock count? Is that close enough? I used to watch Fraggle Rock, or is that like that's close? Is that's it close? close? Is it close? Okay. Uh, that, did that you ever get into the you? Dark Crystal? Were no, you a Dark never, Crystal guy. Never seen the Dark Crystal. Wow, I'd actually take you for a Dark Crystal guy. I thought that would be right up your alley. But. You know, yeah, it's one of those things, like, you'd think. And, like, uh, uh, I mean, I did see, and you know, t- speaking of, like, Jim Henson type stuff, like, I did uh, grow up on Labyrinth. Um, and then, uh, like, I mean, okay. I know it's not exactly the same, but, like, Never Ending Story, you know, like, that sort of is sure, in sure. that vibe. But, um but yeah, but the actual mu- and it's weird, dude, because so the puppetry I loved- didn't throw you off. <laughs> I'll go you. I'll, th- I'll I'll even throw you yet another curveball. I loved the shit out of Muppet Babies, that cartoon that they used to show on Disney Channel or CBS or whatever it was. So all of my experience with the Muppets was the cartoon Muppet Babies, and that's why I still like the Muppets to this day. But not enough apparently to ever go see a movie. I don't know, man. <laughs> you know uh that's funny uh you bring this up because uh i if i'm if i'm recalling correctly i believe this to be the truth um that the the original the muppet movie was the last film i saw before uh quarantine lockdown uh mm. they released it back in theaters for the 40th anniversary it was a sold out show and um yeah that was the last movie i remember seeing in theaters and the nostalgia, wow. dude, Rainbow Connection, you know, you push into the swamp. And I'm sure you're familiar with the song. I was going to say, I picture like the entire theater singing Rainbow Connection together. All you guys just like arms in arms, locked and swaying and like just <laughs> bawling your eyes out by there the end of it. may have been some swaying. Yeah, there <laughs> may have been some swaying back and forth. Um, we're getting off on a tangent, but it, but it is worth mentioning because uh, I do feel like a lot of this movie – 
in any Frank Oz film, really, is um, kind of harkens back to that style of humor. Uh, kind of the the over the top slap sticky. Um, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, um, but even when they're making the movie and they use the uh, they use uh, Bowfinger's dog and they put a, the dog in the high heels <laughs> to simulate like that's yeah. totally Muppets, dude. That is right out of a Muppet movie. <laughs> really? Wow. So yeah. I All mean right. that it just the, the the style of humor and everything uh, is way over the top. And Jason Siegel did a great job with the remake co- uh, that, that came out a few years back. Um, I did not see the sequel with Tina Fey uh, as much as I love her. I just never got around to it. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I liked the Jason Siegel. I thought remake. I thought it was a worthy addition. We went back to the studio. Uh, which they made the Muppet show in. And that was kind of the premise of the show was getting the band back together, so to speak. So uh, yeah. Uh, And the Muppet show. I mean, shit, I used to wake up in the morning and, and eat my morning cereal to uh, the Muppet show reruns. um, Cause I wasn't alive when it was on actual television, (laughs) but they used to play it every morning at like six or 7 AM. And, and uh, rather than bothering my mom and waking up my parents, I would pour myself a bowl of cereal, sit in front of the, uh, little television and uh, that we had and watched the Muppet show every morning. And, and uh, yeah, love that stuff. Nice. And that, dude. Honestly, the Muppet show was a big influence on uh, my music in like taste and everything. Like those were the first times I could think of uh, from being a wee lad, seeing Elton John and, you know, uh, some of these classic, you know, music uh, talent, uh, music talent that would come on there and sing and perform and do live acts and stuff. So anyway, wow. I digress. That's awesome. We'll dude. have to get to well, some Muppet stuff. Maybe all on right. the half episodes. Yeah, no, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to rectify that at some point. So, all right, man, we've talked uh, for way long without actually getting into the actual movie. So, uh, we say we actually <laughs> as always yeah, do that no. here real quick. Sorry. All right, Ryan. When this movie opens up, we are actually finally gonna get into it. When this movie opens up, all right. we uh, get some uh, pictures of Bobby Bowfinger, played by Steve Martin in his glory days. Uh, kind of, you know, the the black and white actor photos. And, you know, from there, the camera kind of zooms out and pulls back and we go across his studio that he's working out of. And it's, you know, really messy and unsexy and blah, blah, blah. And then it, you know, moves over to a detached kitchen that he's sort of sitting in. And, and as and, you know, the camera pushes in and we see that he's reading this script. And Ryan, the funny thing is like, it took, it took t- like a solid minute and change before I realized like, holy shit, this is like one op- one tracking shot. This entire opening is done in like a really cool tracking shot. And they've got that like red lamp that's there. But, um, you know, it, it you've got zoom, you've got tilts, pans, pushing in, you know. Uh, it was a really effective shot, I thought. And it was kind of surprising because you don't – that's kind of the first and last time there's going to be any sort of artistic cinematography. Not that it's poorly shot. It's just we're there for the comedy, you know. So I guess that was their yeah, one time right. to get a little artsier, you know, give the give the cinematographer something to hang his hat on for his reel. No, and but, like you said, they told us a lot. I really like the, uh, the poster that they opened on uh, and pulled back from, which is Once Upon a Mattress by the mm-hmm. Glendale Tentpole Players. Yeah, <laughs> that was hilarious, dude. Did you think um, that that was like an actual advertisement from back in the day of like him actually playing that role at Glendale? Something. <laughs> I or mean, other? it could have been. Like, I feel like that's an actual I, thing that he just had in his memorabilia closet, and he was like, "Oh yeah, throw it on there." <laughs> like nobody will know. Once upon a mattress by the Glendale Tent Pole <laughs> Players. Fantastic. A lot of a lot of insinuation and innuendos just in one little poster. I loved it. 
Absolutely. And so, you know, from there we get the moment where he sort of looks up and, you know, there's wonder on his face and he's like, oh, the script is perfect. And, you know, very quickly there's like sort of like a getting the band back together kind of thing where he calls up, uh, you know, the writer Ephraim and then there's the the actor and the actress played by Baranski and Jamie Kennedy is the gopher like you talked about. It's going to be their cameraman. And uh, basically tells him like, hey, you know, got a great script, really want to get to work. They're like, yeah, you told us that all the time. And, uh, you know, he's obviously one of those guys, he's a shyster, you know, he has been bullshitting his entire way through whatever sort of career he may or may not have at this point. And, uh, but, you know, he also is one of those characters, Bobby Bowfinger is, where, you know, you kind of get it, right? Like, even though he's, 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 uh, like I said, a shyster and kind of full of crap, like, you still do root for him, and I think that the one thing that... Steve Martin does well to kind of keep him grounded is it's just that it's that you you actually mentioned Ed Wood being from 1994. I thought of Ed Wood a couple times in this movie as a sort of inspiration for the protagonist, Bobby Bowfinger, where it's just a guy that loves movies and like he doesn't have money and he's not great in terms of artistry and talent. And but he also like doesn't even stop long enough to consider that he might not be great at this. You know, he's still, he's just too busy trying to do his hustle and, and, and make his movies. And, you know, I think that's, you know, we see that reinforced towards the end when, you know, he sees it up on screen and, you know, we'll obviously get to that later. But, uh, I thought that Steve Martin, that's funny you mentioned that. Cause like, I, I was thinking, uh, th- it's very similar to how you and I make this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We just love it what, what we're doing. We love hanging out with each other and shooting the shit. Uh, yeah, we have no idea we not. suck as much as we do. We're just like, yeah, we got yeah. a great show. The people love us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Nothing wrong. Poifix. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you ever watch this film again, which I know you will because it's fantastic, I hope you watch it in that context because uh, <laughs> it makes so much sense. So who um, of us is Bobby? Who of us is Bobby Bowfinger? Who of us is Bobby Bowfinger and who of us is Kit Ramsey? Or are we both a little of both? Oh, man. Yeah, I think we're we're a little bit of both. I don't think anyone <laughs> is Kit Ramsey. I don't think either of us is Kit Ramsey. I think we're both Bobby Bowfinger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Kit Ramsey was a legit star. Bobby Bowfinger is a bullshitter. Ergo, both of us are Bobby Bowfinger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, at different times w- within this show, we've uh, each had to be Jamie Kennedy along the way. And say, are you sure? <laughs> uh, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it's just instead but, of yeah, uh, yeah. instead of stealing cars, we basically steal cops copyrighted audio for our sketches (laughs) so anyway so bobby needs to get funding to make this movie uh which by the way is called chubby rain ryan do you want to tell them why it's called chubby rain i forget why it's called chubby rain Ah, it's it's right efren explains it in the movie so uh it's called chubby rain because the aliens come down to earth yeah they come inside the the droplets of rain making it chubby it's it's very self-explanatory buddy so I have I have a I have notes here. No, no, I have notes here that's that's basically uh, more or less like an alternate version of uh, maybe a sequel to The Happening by M Night Shyamalan. Um, okay, where, where the aliens come down in the rain and maybe oh, that's how they? the trees I, ended up. Why did you see that movie? Yeah, it's another podcast I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know, Dark of Night, where we just talk about M Night Shyamalan uh, oh, films all day. Hey, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, that's not a real podcast. Don't 
at me on that. Someone is um, absolutely going to steal that, though. It is now a podcast. It has already been made. There are three versions in good Romania on as we they speak. They could have it. Yeah, they could have <laughs> it. Uh, but did you ever, you never saw the happening, though, where the trees are killing everybody? Spoiler alert. Uh, that's the twist. And I thought maybe. Did I ever uh, see the, the M. Night Shyamalan movie with the killer trees? No, I think I missed that one, buddy. <laughs> yeah, starring Mark Wahlberg. It's fantastic. <laughs> Just hey, trees! Hey, trees! Stop being trees and shit, bro! <laughs> <laughs> hey! Yeah. Hey! Look out for the trees! Uh, that's just how I imagine he did the whole time. Uh, I, I got nothing. It was a terrible, <laughs> terrible film. Yeah, so, you know, he needs to get Bobby, that is. He needs to get funding for Chubby Rain. He finds out that a uh, hotshot producer played by Robert Downey Jr., who's clearly in his blow days, because uh, he doesn't try a lot and has very glassy eyes, he's eating lunch at this fancy restaurant... Bobby's driving like a shitty van that he borrowed from the gopher guy. And, you know, he goes into, you know, quote, try on the suit, ends up stealing it real quick, drops the van off with the uh, gopher guy at the studio to borrow one of the uh, beamers from the lot. And he goes to the restaurant. And I don't, I mean, I know it's one of those scenes they, they show in the in the trailer uh, that a lot of people know, but I still think it's hilarious how he just yanks that car phone out and just slides it in his sleeve like it's going to be a, <laughs> a cell phone. And of course, it's funny, too, because right like right now, it's like it's so funny to watch this through the eyes of 2020 and realize that in 1999, because 20 years ago isn't that long, bro, but it was long enough that like. Not everybody had a cell phone, right? Like only like the elite among the elite would actually have a cell phone and be talking on it. So like uh, how quickly things change, right? Which is uh, funny because um, cutting ahead to the very end of the film, uh, all the immigrants that he rounds up on the border to be his film crew all have flip phones. (laughs) They all have the coolest flip phones. Yeah, dude. You know, they're getting work and then, you know, they're talking about like, oh, yeah, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, da, da, da. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, right. Like, now, he's got yeah. the car phone with the, <laughs> and then, uh, even dude, even, uh, in the opening shot of the film, when, uh, when he, he, he reads the script to chubby rain and realizes this is his big break. Um, and he goes to use his house phone with, and, and voicemail is happening yeah. and all this house phone shit. And I, I have in my notes, like how w- weird and random that is. Like even just to see people use voicemail and house phones. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but anyway, so through a, you know, he ends up meeting Robert Downey Jr., pays to get sat next to him, you know, quote unquote pitches his film. Uh, Downey Jr. brushes him off more or less by saying, oh, yeah, sure. You know, go ahead and bring me uh, Kit Ramsey. Kit Ramsey is the biggest star in Hollywood at the time. He's played by Eddie Murphy. Go ahead and bring me Chubby Rain and Kit Ramsey. You got yourself a go picture, right? Just brushing him off because he knows, you know. The script is more or less garbage by the fact that at the end, it's, uh, you know, guy looks into the sky and says, gotcha, suckers. And, you know, he's like, wow, wow, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, but Bobby Bowfinger doesn't know any better. He's just a little puppy when it comes to making films and he gets excited and he's like, yeah, I've got to go picture, blah, 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 this and that. And uh, now I just need to get Kit. From there, we're introduced to Kit. Now, Ryan, dude, I have seen a number of Eddie Murphy movies. I have seen a number of Eddie Murphy uh, pro, uh, programs with regards to his comedy specials and things of that nature. Like, I think this might be my absolute favorite Eddie Murphy appearance in any sort of respect. Like, certainly more so than any of his movies. Like, like he plays Kit flawlessly, so perfectly, and to boot, he plays, you know, the twin role of Jif, which is really, really effectively done as well. But in my opinion, like the kit role is actually the meteor of the t- of the two, 
and where he just gets to like, because that person could be very, very unlikable. And the fact that he's able to be so loud and so fast and so funny and, you know, the role's so exceptionally written by Martin. Um, and uh, just, I loved everything about Eddie Murphy's performance in this film. Do you feel the same? No, absolutely. I I wouldn't say this is my favorite, but okay. it is right up there. I mean, <laughs> Eddie Murphy, dude, you're talking... Axel Foley and Beverly Hills. Yeah, no, I get it. Coming to America, geez. I mean, that might be my favorite. Coming to America is amazing. When you have him and Arsenio playing all the barbershop guys, giving advice and everything, like, that's pretty solid stuff. Uh, There's some classic classic one-liners from Eddie Murphy and and Coming to America. But uh, there's so much good stuff uh, that he's provided, but this is definitely... And that's why I said earlier, like, after this... That Eddie Murphy that you're talking about that we know and love from all these great performances uh, all gets whittled down into Donkey uh, at Sh- in Shrek. Like, literally, after this, it's that, and then he goes to Dr. Doolittle. Um, yeah. But right before this, same year, uh, 99, we also get Life. Did you ever see Life? Life? Oh, the, yeah, yeah. where he plays the uh, chain gang criminal. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Dude, no, so but good. I know what movie you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> That's a great, great film, too. So uh, really? this was kind of the bookend uh, to the Eddie Murphy that I grew up with and knew and loved. Um, so anyways, yeah, I, yeah. I don't disagree. I liked Jif more than I liked Kit, personally. When he when gotcha. Jif came on, a smile just swept across my face when, when <laughs> they brought him out for the auditions. And he was standing there all awkwardly and talking about, you know, where he worked and the opportunities and just how, I mean, it's just a, such a great nuanced performance of awkwardness. And I just loved it. The braces uh, apparently were his idea uh, to add. Nice. And, and yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, he does a great anyway. job. So I, and Ryan, before we continue, I do want to just play a clip really quickly of the introduction that we get to Kit because it's it's just hysterical. He's talking about the the number uh, the number the letter the number of times the letter K appears in the script being divisible by yeah. three and like <laughs> right. Shakespeare and that whole yep. thing like is so yep. mad and insane and it's a perfect blend of performance and writing. Let's listen here real quick. What you talking about? Look at this. Just for fun, I scanned in the computer the script to see how many times the letter K appears in the script. The letter K appears in this script 1,456 times. That's perfectly divisible by three. So what? So, so what you saying? What am I saying? K, K, K appears in this script 486 times. Kid. It's deep. The sickness is deep. You know what I'm saying? They play you. I've been playing. That's really not the case here. This is a great script. Look, it's not Shakespeare, but hey, it's... what'd you just say? I said, it's not Shakespeare, but it's not it's, Shake. It's not Shake. Did you hear what he? Do you hear what he's doing? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he's doing something. I just can't put my finger on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. W- what's he doing? Shakespeare, Freddie Shakespeare. 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 Spear chucker. Shaker. Shakespeare. Oh. I'm a spear chucker now. Yeah. Oh, I'm a spear chucker. You come to my house, call me a spear chucker. Huh? Yeah, that's not what it means. Oh, it's my imagination, huh? It's all my imagination. Oh, so I suppose they didn't put a computer chip in Latoya Jackson's brain. She just act like that, huh? What? And I suppose Teddy Kennedy ain't one sixteenth black, huh? Teddy Kennedy. He's not like the other Kennedys. Look at him. He's different. Listen, I, I, I get some calls. Yeah, go to the office and make some calls. Go call Honnold and Sly and Van Dam and Jackie Chan and tell the spear chucker said hello. 
so dude that's just like i love that so much man it's so he's and and i i think that's what i like about like jiff was super funny dude don't get me wrong like i 100 agree with you like every time he was on like i was smiling and his awkwardness was like very very charming and funny right but like i don't know there's something about that just mile a minute like the 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 mania that he brings to that kit performance right like you get the sense that this dude's like batshit crazy, but also like is super funny and charming and charismatic. And like, you totally get that. He's like a, an A-list celebrity, right? Like just exactly right, what right. you would expect. Or like where yeah. he's, where he's having his, his, his entourage model, the clothes and like hold up like a printout of his face <laughs> over there. So he can see like that shit was so funny, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then like, uh, you you could I mean because obviously the uh, the 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 Hollywood cult that he's uh, affiliated yes. with, mind I mean, that kind of right that harkens back to Scientology uh, very yes. obviously and so immediately you could connect this character kit to a lot of Hollywood A listers that are affiliated with things like this uh, who shall remain nameless. Um, the good news is you and I are both right in the fact that Eddie Murphy plays both these parts in the same film. Uh, therefore this is to me, one of his all time greatest performances. And uh, he Hell gives yeah. them both to us in the same, in the same film, uh, whether you like Jeff or Kit, it's, and they're so different. It's just perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. 100%. And so, yeah, it's speaking to the sort of Scientology satire aspect of it, the whole mind head thing, I think is hilarious. I've never, you know, dabbled, you know, I mean, yeah, you go to Old Town Pasadena out here or Hollywood and, you know, they have the churches of Scientology out there and they try to get you in with the, you know, free personality tests, which if you're a South Park fan, you you already know what that looks like. And uh, it's I like I just always want like. I want to I want to get in without being in. Right. Because we all know, like, it's like the mob, dude, like you take that first like lesson or class or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, like you're going to have, you know, goons showing up at your door like, hey, ready to join yet? Right. Getting random phone calls from strangers in the middle of the night, like better join or something bad's going to happen to your family. Right. So we've heard all about that sort of stuff. But like, I just want to know, like, is it that batshit banana pants crazy? Right. Like, do they really have the like. Ding, ding, ding. Welcome to Mindhead. Like, type shit, right? <laughs> so, I don't know how much you know about uh, the Church of Scientology, but uh, um, right here in Clearwater, Florida, uh, where I'm living currently, uh, is their other home base. And they're, they wow. have a huge uh, mecca of sorts, uh, downtown Clearwater, um, that actually rivals if not bests the church that size that they have there in Hollywood. So little wow. connection between you and I, maybe if we both joined the church, we'd get to hang out more often, They'd, uh, <laughs> you know, front for some trips and, you know, we get to clean the grout with the toothbrushes together. I'll, uh, you know, Bubba and Forrest Gump, you know, talk about how many shrimp, uh, recipes I know and this and that, you know, you and I could, uh, toil away the hours and work our way up and improve our thetan levels together. Um, and, and maybe it'll lead us to some different podcast ideas too. So I'm open to that. Absolutely. Definitely keep that in what, mind. I'll join on my s- end. You could join on your end. We'll meet in uh, somewhere in the middle. Absolutely. What's a little subjugation between two friends? Right, right. Yeah. It'd be funny. Uh, it'd be funny if our, if, if our uh, podcast just went dead air right now. <laughs> Everyone's like, where'd they go? What happened? Right. <laughs> That'd be such a great ending to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the one thing that does for the plot in terms of the narrative though, is through, 
Yeah, he has a therapist played by, is it Terrence Stamp? Is that who that is? Yes. Playing that? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, in, in, in a bit of a uh, change of role for him. But uh, we learn through there, which, by the way, I did love the happy premises, by the way. Like, <laughs> happy premise number two, there is no giant foot trying to squash me. Like, I just think that's so fucking hysterical, <laughs> right? Uh, but through that, we learn that he actually has kit that is an affinity for exposing himself to the Laker girls. And that's going to factor in <laughs> at the end. That's pretty much what's going to, you know, set up the ability to get this film out there in public. And uh, what? So, by you know, the way, what a bonkers script idea. Like, what a bonkers <laughs> plot premise, a plot device to drive your whole main character. And they pay off at the end, obviously. And that's how the whole thing wraps up. But, like, I just that's such a bonkers concept to, to be writing a draft of a script and have to. I don't know. So, yeah, so here's the I thing. also like he just couldn't. He can't resist pulling his dick out in front of the Lakers girls. He has to do it. He's <laughs> obsessed with it. And it drives him. And at the end, we, we pay the film off by the fact that he's do- doing it on camera and they catch him. I don't know. I just thought that was how, like you and I could never sell that in a million years to anybody. Like, so <laughs> he wants to show yeah. himself to the Lakers girls. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, yeah. stick with me. It pays off in the end. <laughs> <laughs> I love that dude. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's, it's really good, man. And so, um, you know, Bobby does end up breaking into Kit's estate. He finds out where he is and he, you know, goes under the guise of being a script delivery guy and tries to sell him on the script. Steve Martin pretends he's in Minehead to end up getting in his car, but, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy, Kit, finds out very quickly that he's bullshit and kicks him out. And from there... So uh, Heather Graham's character is introduced, right? She's one of these girls from, you know, Ohio or Iowa that gets off the bus. She literally asks people where she goes to be an actress, right? And uh, I just love that that he's holding. I love that he's charging twenty five dollars for people to audition just for the role, yeah. which is just cash it, only. Just amazing, yeah. And uh, you know, so Heather Graham gets there. She finds Bobby Bowfinger Productions. Uh, she auditions, and you know, she ends up having this like super awkward extended kiss with the actor, and that kind of sets up the tone for the fact that she's going to be. Something of an amorous character, shall we say, who's uh, not afraid to sleep her way to the top or whatever the top looks like in her purview. And that includes sleeping with the writer, the actor, Bobby, and eventually Kit, who she ends up going to the screening at the end with. Um, she, uh, she's she's able to use that to convince the actor to convince Bobby to bring her on. And then <laughs> the scene I love is right after that where they need to hire a crew. And I think you referenced it earlier where <laughs> they're like, okay, we need to get the best crew we can afford. And then jump cut to them at the Mexican border <laughs> with Steve Martin jumping up and down, <laughs> trying to corral a bunch of people into his van like while they're being shot at by Border Patrol, which is totally not <laughs> right. a scene you can do in 2020. But it's fucking hysterical, and I'm so glad we did it in '99. Dude, this is all this is all classic Henson Muppets humor. I'm telling you, Um, (laughs) if you like this sort of thing, these jump cuts to just slapstick, over the top, bizarro comedy moments. um, That's right up your alley, and uh, I I think that that you may really actually find yourself regretting not having watched. Muppets earlier, but anyway, I know, right? Except for the fact that I'll be happy because then I'll have that to look forward to. Be like, you wow, got all these all Muppets movies to now. watch. Yeah, right. You you can't go back and watch it for the first time, but I sure can. So who's winning now, <laughs> right. buddy? Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, you know, so he ends up getting about, you know, what, four or five of them in the van. And, you know, then there's another jump cut to them just standing very awkwardly wide eyed as, you know, all the cast and crew are talking to them, not realizing kind of what's going on and what the deal is. And uh, from there, they decide that, okay, you know what, even though Kit said no, uh, we're going to film this movie and we're just going to do it uh, in a way that he doesn't even know we're filming. We're just going to go, uh, I think they call it Cinema Nouveau at one point, which I thought was like a really <laughs> hilarious description. He's trying to sell it to Christine Baranski's character. And uh, so, yeah, they end up, uh, you know, now the thing is, Kit's kind of freaking out, right? He's 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 afraid of this alien conspiracy that's going on before all this starts. And so then he gets swept up in this film that's about aliens. So the characters are constantly referencing aliens, but he doesn't know that he's in a movie. So he's just freaking more, uh, more and more out. And so, you know, we get the funny scene at Rodeo restaurant where Kit's accosted by Christine Bransky's character who, you know, talks about him preferring alien love. And he's like, what? Why you say alien love? Da da da. Like, Oh shit, I gotta go. So like each time aliens comes up, it sort of exacerbates his mental illness and he starts freaking out a little bit and has to go back to his therapist at Mindhead. And uh that does set up the scene like you talked about at the very top of the show. Great, great scene, which apparently has some Muppets like humor where he's leaving Mindhead and uh they're they're doing the dark garage scene and they have, yeah, you know, where they need some high heel footsteps to be chasing him and freaking him out. And, you know, we hear him clack, clack, clack and kids freaking out. And then right away we see like the dog is wearing the two, you know, high heels, which props to that dog, dude, that dog actually ran really, really well. I was very impressed, dude. And he kept a smile on his face. He looked like a really good boy. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and by the way, Ryan, as a sound guy, is that, have you ever had like a funny story or something like that? Like, oh yeah, we once had to do this for this to get this sound, like, or is it a little, uh, is it a little different more in like the broadcast world with sports and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I substitute stuff like that all the time and, you know, a little bit of, uh, sound effects or Foley sound or something like that. Um, I try to, you know, be cre- as creative as I can, but never, in such a way that I'm tricking somebody. <laughs> like well, yeah, regard. no. Uh, okay, fair enough. Sorry, and, sorry uh, to disappoint. We'll eh, edit this out. You know, I'm used to it with you. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, you know, like we said, from there we've got, uh, you know, Kit, Kit basically freaks out, runs away after this whole scene. It's very funny, um, very effective. And... Heather Graham starts to, you know, implement herself more with in terms of sleeping around. She's sleeping with Ephraim now and, like I said, later Bobby so that she can get some more screen time. And uh, shortly thereafter, it's the scene I was talking about where he's, he's shopping for clothes and Christine Baranski's driving around and she sees him. And, you know, she decides because she's wanted to, to meet him the whole time. They all do. But Bobby's telling him, like, oh, you can't. It's part of his process. You know, you can't go and talk to him. It's just part of his process and so she decides like nah you know what screw that like I'm a pro he's a pro I'm gonna go say what's up and introduce myself and so when she talks about um you know like showing up to shoot him the other day or something like that he literally thinks he's being shot at so Kit's freaked out he decides that he's just going to run away to dry out a little bit and that is obviously a problem for Bobby and the rest of the crew because without Kit they don't have any movie so he decides that they are going to basically try to cheat the scenario, right? They're going to hire someone that looks enough like Kit that they can do some, like, over-the-shoulder shots and, you know, use him in foregrounds and backgrounds, parts of his body, whatever, to just sort of simulate, you know, his presence there on set. 
And uh, so they end up having auditions, and that's where we are introduced to the GIF character, who is also played by Eddie Murphy. He's the character we spoke of, his alternate dual role. Let's hear a clip of him being auditioned and how hilarious he is in this Oh, role. it's so perfect. So perfect. Currently um, packing fries at the Burger King on Douglas. Do you have any experience in motion pictures? Oh, uh, yeah, quite a bit, actually. I have quite a bit of experience. I'm uh, an active uh, renter at Blockbuster, and I um, attend the film, the cinema, uh, as much as possible, weekly, bi-weekly, interweek, intermediately. Would you be willing to cut your hair? Oh. Yes, but um, it's usually better if someone else does it. I've had a few accidents. Um, can you see without your glasses? Oh, yeah, I can see. <clears throat> I don't really see well, but I can see. Do you have contacts? I, I, have, a, I have contact lenses. I can wear my contact lenses. That'll that help. Mm -hmm. Can I put my glasses back on? Sure, please. Put your glasses get, back on. I'm going to get a little headache. Would you be uh, willing to show your naked rear end in a movie? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. This is hard. Uh, just one more question. In addition to being a major star in this film, would you also be willing to run errands? Oh, gosh. I, I'm really hoping to get a career running errands. That'd be a major boost for me. <laughs> so, yeah, Ryan, like you say, like super, super charming. Um, you yeah. know, very much the, the opposite of the, you know, high-strung character uh, he talks about being an active renter at Blockbuster <laughs> as his experience with film and stuff like that. And uh, so, yeah, and he just he he just he just sells the hell out of it. And, uh, you know, the first thing that he has to do is it's the whole freeway scene, which, again, was referenced in the trailer that a lot of people are familiar <laughs> so with. Good. And, <laughs> oh, so good. Dude, when uh, he makes it and then they, they it's like such a relief and he's so. He runs across the freeway. What is that? Like the 405 or the 10 or something like that? Dude, probably. you know what? You know what actually that is? That's the two. That's the end of the two right before okay. it drops down. Yeah. So it's like uh, like Glendale South and Glendale North on the right. And then it goes through. And then, yeah, uh, like in the Silver Lake-ish area a little bit before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Like Glendale crosses but. over in Silver Lake. But yeah, anyways. They ask Jif to run across the freeway to get this uh, escape scene or this action sequence that they're trying to get. And they explain to Jif that all the drivers are stunt drivers. Uh, of course, they were not. <laughs> um, and you just, for whatever reason, they made that look so real uh, with the oh, cars whizzing so by. Dude. and Yeah, and how he uh, jumped over the median and he's running <laughs> back and forth Frogger style across uh, several lanes of traffic. And he makes it and he's just... All in tears, elated that yeah. he, he survived and he couldn't believe it. I didn't like that. Did. I didn't like that. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do that anymore. Stop it. Don't do that. And then they said he has to do it again. He needs one more take. And I just was on the couch yeah, laughing my ass. like, all right, dude, I don't worry it. about it. I got you. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go some coffee because you like taking errands. And we're going to need lots of it. He's like, yeah, yeah, coffee. Right after we do this one more time. And then he's like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> so perfect, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very funny. So, 
from there, you know, again, Heather Graham continues to, to work her way up. She decides that she's going to go uh, get drunk with Bobby and, you know, they're going to have a little loving time and he's going to, uh, she's going to use that to get uh, some additional scenes written and in the film. However, what she doesn't expect is that Bobby's also going to steal her credit card and uh, use that to buy some additional equipment. So from there, Kit gets back out. Bobby and the gang go to hunt him down and set up, you know, what's ultimately going to be like the final chase scene, uh, the, the more or less like climax of the film that they're making within the film, Bowfinger, right? And uh, it's funny because there's the scene where they're uh, at, inside this restaurant and they're shooting and all of a sudden, like, Kit breaks off from the expected route that they were going to take or whatever and actually, like, runs into the building that they're shooting at. I also have a clip of that scene that I want to play real quick for people. You know, I thought I was starting to crack up there for a while. You ever think there are no conspiracies and maybe there are no aliens, nothing like that. Everything's just as it seems. I tell you, being alone by myself in the chamber was amazing. It was really helpful to me. So helpful. Freddie, where the hell? Freddie. Hey, Freddie. Hey, you. Kincaid. Freddie. Freddie. You heard me, Kincaid. Freddie, don't play with me, man. Oh, nice try, Kincaid. Freddie. Don't act dumb. Where's the plutonium? Hey, listen, that plutonium is mine and it's been registered to be used for religious purposes. Yeah, you actually have some plutonium? He's got plutonium? Freddy, don't play around, man. Freddy's about to have his guts replaced with alien hardware. Ha, ha, ha. Aliens? Oh, my God, Kit. They told me you were dead. And now you are dead. Hey! I know! Kit, you know whenever you kill a hard person, another one takes its place. You won't take me on your spaceship. And so that's kind of like a fun scene that sort of illustrates the like, you know, cinema nouveau-ish, the rogue guerrilla operations that they're doing and how everything, you know, ends up breaking bad. And like uh, he's just, you know, Kit's character is batshit crazy at this time. And it's the next scene from there, too, where they're like all having lunch or whatever that Jif reveals that he's actually Kit's brother. And at that point, Bobby kind of starts to feel a little bit bad for using him because... You know, just just like, ah, oh, it just feels so nice to not be known as Kit's brother and do all this stuff. He's like, he's such a good guy, dude, you know? Like, he's just a very nice, simpleton kind of character. And Frank Oz is so great at creating those characters. I feel like throughout his career, um, he's just, he, how do I put this without offending everybody in Hollywood? He, uh, he's like a successful Ron Howard, like, because Ron Howard plays it safe <laughs> and makes these likable, you know, characters in a safe world and this and that. But Frank Oz does it and and makes it funny, and he's able to add that satire and that humor uh, and layers uh, onto it. You know, In and Out. I don't know if you ever saw In and Out with Kevin Klein. Love um, that movie. Very th- funny. Yeah, th- there's a lot of uh, things that that Frank Oz has done that uh, I I feel that he's kind of the master at this, and Steve Martin as well. Um, whether it's the jerk. Or L.A. Story or Roxanne, um, you know, going back through Steve Martin's career, I feel like he's kind of really good at this as well. If if this is a stretch for anybody, it's Eddie Murphy because uh, he's always kind of yeah. a little more R-rated and uh, a little more on the edge and this and that. I do guess around this time he was doing uh, The Nutty Professor and The Clumps and everything, which does play into that character arc, but uh, that, that character style. But anyways, regardless, I just think this is just 
three guys uh, at the top of their game. Uh, a lot of improv uh, I heard went into this, especially from Eddie Murphy's standpoint. You know, Steve Martin wrote this film. And, yeah, uh, we, did, we, we didn't, didn't mention really that. talk about that. That guy is um, a writing genius, and it's, it's a shame. I wish if he wasn't going to perform anymore, I wish he would still write, because he gave us some some gems. Um, I mean, this goes all the way back to a lot of 70s variety shows. And Well, he does, he does still perform on his banjo these days, dude. I know, <laughs> I know. It's all bluegrass stuff, which I've seen him live uh, with Steep Canyon Rangers at Bonnaroo, oh, yeah? and uh, that's a lot of fun, too. Uh, uh, Steve Martin live bluegrass show if you ever have a chance to see it bluegrass or not because he's funny he still is just as charming in a live musical performance as you'd expect him to be so um, yeah anyways i digress yeah absolutely so this sets up the sort of end of the film where the gopher played by jamie kennedy has been keeping the footage in the gate or you know the the cage i guess you could say and there's a security guard that finds the footage. He decides that, you know, he's going to turn them into the therapist at Mindhead because the security guard is a Mindhead member himself, uh, you know, which I'm sure kind of speaks to the cultish nature of that whole thing in Scientology, which, by the way, dude, we just uh, we just in one episode, we blasted Ron Howard and Scientology. So, like. We have exceptional careers ahead of ourselves, buddy. Let's just remember Nice that. knowing you. Yeah. Why aren't anybody listening? Why is nobody listening to our podcast? I don't know. <laughs> but uh yeah, so uh, it sets up, you know, they're going to they've got this ice cream truck with a, you know, sort of bucket crane that they've got the camera in and they've got some shrubbery around it to disguise it and they're basically going to follow Kit's car. Uh, up until, you know, a sort of predetermined setup that they have with Ephraim and another cop playing the role of cops. So the, uh, you know, the main actor who's uh, chasing him in the car with the, you know, the suit and the glasses and stuff like that, he's basically like reverses into Eddie Murphy's driver's car. Eddie Murphy's driver starts backing up. We get sort of a little mini reverse chase that's being recorded by uh, the, the ice cream truck and the crane and everything. And then Police car comes up, stops them, except it turns up not to be the real police. It is uh, a, a cop that they had bribed from earlier when they didn't have a permit that they gave a role in the movie to make up for that, as well as Ephraim, who has this cool little, uh, you know, melting face uh, prosthetic stuff and gets like a, <laughs> has a lot of fun with that, you know, ah, and his like face little melts and like his, his, well, that's, his you arm know, falls that's, that's off. That's what uh, I, I think this film did a good job of. Uh, portraying the fact that when you don't have money and you're trying to make something like this, it, you actually have to work a million times harder. Uh, your crew is smaller. Um, you have to do everything yourself. And uh, as much as as much as this film is funny and it, and it you know plays it out for a comedic effect, there's a lot of these things I'm watching and and uh, you know. Having been a part of you know low budget productions myself throughout my career, you know it definitely <laughs> it like stung a little bit. It's like oh man, yeah, I know what that feels like. <laughs> just fake it, you know, and try to make it work. But uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. So you know, at this point, Kit's finally had enough. He gets a little shell shocked. His mind finally kind of snaps, and he's just kind of following along. So Heather Graham, who's been pretending to be like what, I don't know, some Russian agent or some alien person. I don't even know. Right. Point is she's able to convince Kit to get in the car with her. She's going to drive him to the Griffith observatory, which I don't know. Did you, did you recognize that was the Griffith observatory? Dude? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah how yeah. could you not? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know like how many people that like weren't 
I don't live in LA or haven't lived in LA or haven't been out here, like know these locations. Um, but yeah, that, that one's me, pretty that's iconic. Like part of the fun too. I think it's part of the fun of this movie. There's a lot of like mini, like major and minor locations from around Los Angeles, the Valley, Hollywood, et cetera, San Gabriel that are just kind of a lot of fun to see. It's a very LA movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've seen yeah. the Griffith observatory in, in everything from, um, La La Land to Grand Theft Auto <laughs> and everything in between. So <laughs> it's pretty iconic. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, so Kit and Heather Graham's character are running through and uh, the cameraman is basically just recording the screens with the surveillance footage, uh, which actually gives them some sweet Dutch angles. You know, why not utilize that? Uh, feedback might be a little bad, but uh, either way, they get to the top and, uh, you know, he just needs to 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 go to the, the, uh, the again, the top and scream, gotcha, suckers. And then they've got, you know, that's their shot. They've got the movie. Um, and, you know, there's a very funny scene where, by the way, we didn't talk about Christine Baranski's character. I thought she was very charming. I mean, she always kind of plays that same oh, role. Oh, she was great. Over the I top. thought she was really yeah, funny. A over the top, and I, yeah, yeah, and I love how literally I think half of her dialogue is just screaming the word "bastard" at Kit Ramsey's character. <laughs> <laughs> like she's always a bastard, you bastard, you bastard. Like just, so, I'm sure there was something there. Um, and uh, you know, she we get that funny scene where she pretends to kill her and chop her head off, and that's what sends Kit running off to you know the edge, and then. Uh, you know, he's about to say, gotcha suckers. It seems like he might do it. You know, Heather Graham's character is really egging him on. And then all of a sudden the, the choppers, you know, fly from overhead. And, uh, we very quickly see that, uh, the police and, you know, the head of mind head, the therapist, uh, you know, they, they, they shut him down and, uh, yeah, you almost, you almost, you almost did it, but yeah, the jig is up. The game is over. Thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Uh, I expect the, uh, very impressed that he was actually able to avoid any sort of litigation on that. Uh, seems like if you had to use two dozen helicopters for a situation, you'd probably be a little bit, you know, slapped on the wrist. It's just a movie, just Jason. <laughs> Don't overanalyze it, damn it. Uh, that's all we do on this show. <laughs> I love when he's uh, approaching his crew and cast and, and they're all talking, you know, and about uh, – how how screwed they all are and and uh how this really messed them up and and whatnot and he comes out and just kind of shrugs and said it could have worked and that's yeah <laughs> that's about how I, I think that's how i would have handled that too <laughs> to be yeah. honest yeah pretty much you know it's like i mean because that's the thing dude it's like he's trying you know say what you will about all this stuff dude he's out there working and he's trying to make something happen and uh you know yeah you know he he had to uh do a couple things that maybe he didn't expect him to do to make it happen. But in the grand scheme of things Again, that people have done to make things happen, it ranks pretty low, I would argue. <laughs> right. Again, hearkening <laughs> back to my point I made a moment ago, like how hard he must have had to work. His character had to work to pull this off and uh, to get a bucket truck and put shrubbery around it to get the cameras and to get them back every night. So they weren't noticing that they were being borrowed and, and, you know, uh, without permission from the rental house and all these things, you know, the, uh, we didn't even talk about the, um, the will work for food sign with the aluminum foil that they <laughs> used as a bounce card. <laughs> the, oh, the, I love that. The, uh, there's so many Mexican little immigrants would uh, all have here. to light their scenes with kid. Yeah. So there's a lot of insider little, you know, winks, nods and nudges to, uh, you know, if you're in the biz and, and you're familiar with some of the things that need to be done to make a movie, uh, the DIY versions that, uh, you know, that they did to, that they must've had to, you know, get really creative and work hard to make that. Up. So yeah, when, when he approaches his crew and 
shrugs it off. I mean, you can't even hate on it. Like he busted his ass. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then that does set up the sort of twist at the end that allows the movie to get released where, you know, like you said earlier, you know, the Mexican cats at this point are like really far developed. They're like, Oh yeah. You know, we went and got some B roll and we opened up the aperture to, you know, really ho- get a sort of halo lighting effect. Put a Promis like... filter on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved that, you know, and then, uh, you know, they're like, Hey, let's watch the footage. And Bobby's like, ah, what does it matter? He's like, nah, no, we'll watch it. And then they find out that uh, those guys actually were able to ended up recording Kit inside of the Staples Center or whatever it was at the time, uh, exposing himself to the Lakers girl, which obviously gives them the footage to be able to blackmail him and go and say, hey, you know, we don't want to put this footage out there. But if we can't release our movie, we might maybe have to. And of course, that's going to be a bad look. So uh, they're able to work something out. Bobby's able to release his movie, Chubby Rain. The uh, footage is not going to get released of Kit exposing himself to the Lakers girls. And, you know, Kit arrives to the screening with Heather Graham. I thought it was so funny that Bobby and the gang, though, still for for his own film that he directed for the premiere, he gets put at the very front, very far (laughs) left row, like seat. You can't even really see the screen. Uh, And even in spite of that, you know, as I alluded to at the top of this program, he just sits there with this childlike sense of wonder you know staring up at the screen and marveling at like his creation that he put up there and that's why i make the sort of absolutely which is like this guy just doesn't know any better like he doesn't know that he's a bad filmmaker and beyond that he doesn't care and i also feel like that's where a lot of that charm comes in too right because so so sure. many of us you know or either now or historically speaking it's like how many things have we not done because we were afraid of what other people would think about it. And so anytime you have these characters where they're just sort of like blissfully unaware and that blissful unawareness allows them to create whatever it is that they create as a result of that, it's just, it's so incredibly charming and it reminds us to just not care so much about people are going to talk shit, dude. I'm sure people talk shit about our show, but we fucking love doing it. Right. So what do we care? Like, just, just do what you're going to do and put it out there. And as long as it makes you happy, that's all that matters, you know? Stuart Gordon. I mean, that's he made his whole career on that very <laughs> premise. Of just yeah, so we're gonna make some killer you know? dolls, dude. Right? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm gonna have a, yeah, a severed, severed head, head go down on itself. Why not, Stuart? Yeah. Go for it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I totally. As I'm watching Bowfinger, there were so many times when I was thinking about Dagon being made, or even Reanimator, or any of the other films. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could That's see so Stuart awesome. Gordon being set front row, way off to the left to the premiere of uh, Dagon <laughs> in some, <laughs> you know, rinky dink theater uh, in Thousand Oaks or something, you know. <laughs> but uh, absolutely. Anyways, so we, and we do get the uh, final payoff. We didn't really mention this before, but uh, at the at the beginning of the movie, Bobby mentions how he looks out of his window every day and watches the FedEx truck go by. And one day, you know, his dream is that the FedEx guy is going to stop in front of his house and walk in and casually toss a script, his direction or an offer or whatever. So at the very end, we do get that motion where, you know, the FedEx truck comes down. It's in slow motion. Bobby's like moving towards the door. Mr. FedEx guy comes in, hands him I an envelope. I love this scene. <laughs> and it it's ends such up being an adult an win. Yeah, dude, it was such a it was such a huge win for him, man. It's just like all he wanted and and again, you know, it's like this guy's not going to be any sort of major Hollywood player, but 
he gets his own victory, you know, he can be, he can go make shitty kung fu movies overseas, and, you know, that's fine for him, dude, he's totally stoked with that, and that's indeed what happens, where he opens up the package, and finds out that he and Kit's twin brother, Jif, have been made an offer to go make a kung fu movie overseas that is called Fake Purse Ninjas, it features some of the uh, most uh forgiving stunt work since that video of steven seagal apparently beating the crap out of people but they're all just Dude, watching know, diving GIF. out of his way <laughs> watching jiff awkwardly fight himself fight his way through that, that horde of ninjas was so fantastic protecting his face wonderful. all cautiously and yeah just flailing <laughs> yeah. his arms around just tiny little um, steps forward and like awkward like cuts and jumps and punches oh, and stuff. And, and then, then when Steve Martin's character yeah. <laughs> drops in as the partner, oh dude, I would yeah, I would you know. honestly watch that two hours of that movie. No doubt about <laughs> it. I wish that was on the uh special features. I would watch that so quickly. Absolutely one hundred percent. And then you know we get that we get the final shot of, you know, they they do the uh Carl Weathers, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, uh grabbing grabbing hands and, and wrestling type thing, and then they both charge <laughs> toward the camera and jump in the air, and then we get the freeze frame of them in the middle of the air, and then we fade to black and the movie's over. And so again, lovable. Man, it was just it was such a great time, dude, and it's so funny. Like it's it, it reminded me. It's kind of it's almost a little sad to consider, but like just the way the the places the country was at pre nine uh, eleven and post nine eleven. Like when you look at comedy pre nine eleven, like it's so innocent and it's so just like everything's cool. You know, everybody's happy, everyone's taken care of, doing all right. Blah blah blah. This and that, and then you know. You look at like the last twenty years of comedy, and like, and and, and I, I'm not one to complain because I I I'm I, I'm a fan of mean spirited comedy, but I will say like you notice that comedy tends to be like a lot meaner than it used to be, a lot more cynical than it used to be. Um, you know, you have to be obviously a lot more careful as we've evolved, you know, socially and 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 stuff like that. And so, uh, but you know, there was just a sort of like a carefree nature to comedy in the '90s and prior. Uh, that you just unfortunately don't get anymore. So this was kind of like, you know, no, one agree. of those, the last relics of that, you know, pre 9-11 style of comedy that just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, boundaries kept getting pushed further and further. Um, I think some of that still exists to an extent. Uh, Wes Anderson kind of brings us some of that innocent humor sometimes, the wittiness and all of that. The Coen brothers a uh, little bit as well sometimes. Uh, there's still Dude, some you're of talking about the there. funny thing is you're you're defending these guys and both of those do primary both both of those people do primarily R-rated films. Wes Anderson's like 50-50 PG-13 to R, but still, like that's my point. Like comedy like today Yeah, has but I like feel like his humor is still kind of innocent. You know, he doesn't rely yeah, Wes on Ander- Wes Anderson absolutely 100%. Yeah, I'll grant you that all. F-bombs, he does but... he's not, you know, using vulgar language to make his point. You know, a lot of his stuff is very witty. Uh, the language and dialogue are very witty. Yeah, uh, the Coen brothers, yeah. brothers will throw someone uh, in a wood chipper real quick or show someone get murdered violently or whatnot. But that's uh, it's the humor I'm talking about. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of examples of of people that may still be out there doing that kind of, you know, wit and, uh, you know, quick fast paced dialogue and so forth. But uh, that well, dude, I mean, even just look at like even just look at like the whole genre of like parody film. Like that's dead. 
Like there are no more parody films, dude. So like you're you like we don't have airplanes anymore. You know we don't have That's true. No say what you will. Guns. We don't have scary movie anymore. You know, let alone scary movie yeah. five. Right. We don't have all those you know Zuckers and Naked Gun and those types of things. Like that just sort of like very innocent, innocently silly style of comedy is gone. And now it now everything has to be like very self aware and have some level of social commentary. Like. You don't really get too many people right, just right. yucking it up anymore. Yeah. I mean, we had Apatow uh, for a bit. Yeah, but even then, he started having to comment on relationships. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been a huge uh, huge fan of his last couple films. Um, you know, Rogan's still out there. Seth Rogan um, and Evan Goldberg are still out there kind of doing some of that slapsticky, over-the-top stuff. But you're right. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, that's... Kind of a bygone era. And maybe that's why I like this film so much is it kind of harkens back to that time, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you watch some of the movies in the, in its heyday, uh, like the jerk or, um, you know, coming to America or some of these movies that we've referenced from these, uh, from this uh, talent list. But, uh, Bowfinger was kind of the, uh, the end of an era. It, I mean, it kind of yeah. uh, it was on that precipice because you're right. 2001. And then not only uh, did 9-11 happen, but you also had, uh, you know, the Internet came through and made everybody cynical and, uh, yeah. you know, the birth of the Karens and all of that. So, uh, you know, gone are the days where you could just be freewheeling and, and hide behind your art, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a pretty poignant look to uh, what is ultimately a very silly comedy that you're going to have a, a lot of fun with. So, uh Ryan, I'm going to go ahead and hit you up with my three adjectives first this time. Tired of you ah, stealing you all beat mine. me to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to switch it up here a little bit. So, and these are <laughs> look, these that. are going to seem these are going to seem very obvious, you know, especially relative to, you know, what we just talked about right now. So, the first adjective, it's just a hilarious film, guys. It's fucking hilarious. It's very funny. There's so much comedy in there, and especially if you are familiar with some of the filmmaking techniques like we talked about, you know, the, the, the will work for food sign doubling is the bounce board. Like there's a lot of subtle little things like that where and especially if you're familiar with indie filmmaking and how far you have to go to make some of these things work when you don't have access to lighting kits, etc. Uh, it's, again, just a hilarious film, which is my first one. The second one I'll say is that it's breezy. It's a breezy film. It's not something, it's lighthearted. Again, it's not trying to make a bunch of comments on, you know, maybe a, a, a subtle dig here or there at something about, you know, Hollywood or the industry at large. But, um, you know, in general, it's pretty light. Uh, you know, we get, you know, even the, you know, Heather Graham's character that sleeps her way to the top, you know, she's not really positioned as like a dirty slut or anything like that, right? Like she's still funny and charming and it's just her way and we totally accept it about her. And the uh, third adjective that I have is cheerful, which kind of, you know, dovetails into breezy a little bit. But I couldn't remember the last time, like I said, you know, for me when I watch like a, you know, a John C. Riley or a Will Ferrell comedy, like it's funny, but again, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a bunch of guys talking shit about each other to a degree and I mean, especially Ryan, you and I, right? Like we do that shit here on this show all day long and off the air and stuff like that. So yeah, that's going to appeal to us. But there's always, there's always something about when you like encounter something that's just almost like very innocent to a degree. I guess that's the kind of the yeah. word I can say. Like the, the humor here is very innocent. It's like, I, I'm not trying to hurt anybody, you know, even, even the kind of racist and sexist jokes. Like, nah, we're just having a good time, man. Like, I don't want anybody to be offended. I'm not here to like say, fuck these guys or blah, 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 this and that. Like, it's just a very, 
it's as wholesome as as a, a satire can be because it ultimately is a satire. And I just I find that normally satires are very pointed and very cynical. And I love how innocent and cheerful this film is. So hilarious, breezy, and cheerful. Ryan, what you got for us? Well, now I see how you're feeling because I kind of, <laughs> you know, that's a tough act to follow the same way that uh, you have to go second most times. Uh, yeah, I for my first word, I have nostalgic because uh, everything you just said, <laughs> um, yeah, it just harkens back to a, an earlier time when, when you could innocently get away with some of these jokes. And uh, it just... I just loved Eddie. This made me want to go back and watch all of Eddie Murphy and and Steve Martin and Frank Oz's old pictures. Um, and I may do that. There are a few that I haven't seen. Um, what was it? Nice Guys Wear Plaid or The Man with Two Brains. I think those are the two Steve Martin movies that I haven't seen. I need to go back and watch. Mm-hmm. But uh, con- consistent. Again, <laughs> to, uh, everything you just said. Uh, yeah, there was never a dull <laughs> moment. This was... Uh, an hour and a half, an hour and 37 minutes, I guess. And it just was, once it got going from, like I said, from the very opening shot of Once Upon a Mattress um, to the very last shot of Eddie Murphy and uh, Steve Martin jump kicking towards the camera in uh, Fake Purse Ninjas, I was entertained, enthralled. I wish it was two hours, even though I'm glad it's not because the pacing is perfect. Just It's just a consistently good film all the way through. And pure because of everything you just said. Screw you, Jason. Um, yeah, this was a pure, innocent film that, um, you know, you could watch with just about anybody in your family. It's almost a family movie. I mean, maybe you want to rule out some of the youngest kids because of some of the adult references. Um, but the adults are going to get some of it. The kids are going to get some of it. Um yeah, I I have nostalgic, consistent, and pure. I won't beat you over the head with it because I think you said everything I was going to say, uh, but probably better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So let's make it formal. Slap a grade rating, buddy. What you got? Dude, I'm going to give this an A+. This is an A-plus comedy for me. Absolutely. I fucking love this movie. If you told me right now we had to go back and re-watch this movie, that we were just going to stop what we were doing and go watch, I would watch this movie right now again, and I just watched it last night. Um, I love this movie so much. Yeah, same dude. No, I give it the full five stars. And yeah, to your point, man, like, uh, I just, I just watched, if it wasn't last night, it was the night before. And, uh, as this, right before the show, I was having to go find the clips and I straight watched all the clips, like the entire three minutes of the clips and still (laughs) laughed just as much as I did two days ago, knowing all the jokes that were coming. So like, and again, you know, this is a film that I have ingrained in my memory from, from being younger. You know, I've seen it. I watched it dozens and dozens of times, wore the hell out of my DVD. And so, yeah, dude, this is just, again, you know, like full five stars, a plus, which is actually the, uh, Actually, the highest rating since The Lighthouse. It's the only other film that we've had on here where both of us gave it the uh, best score possible. So, Lighthouse and Bowfinger, showing you who Ryan and Jason are. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I always have to think of or take into consideration, like, how how distracted were you during the film? Were you ever pulled out of it? Were there slow moments? Also, would you watch it again? Like, and yeah. how, how much time would you need until you needed till you were able to watch it again and, and enjoy it as much the second time as you just enjoyed it? Uh, answer for this and the lighthouse immediately. 
I would watch both <laughs> films um, right away. Yeah, 100%. And, which is really interesting because it's sitting at a 61% uh, audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and 81% uh, Rotten Tomato meter. Um, it's, wow. Uh, I think it is a 6.4 stars out of 10 on uh, out of 10 yes. on IMDb. So this was not huh. hugely well received amongst critics or uh, audience reviewers. So I don't know why. I what love. What the hell this are they movie. watching? Uh, Scientology propaganda video. <laughs> <laughs> and look, I mean, look, mate. You know, here's the other thing, Ryan, that we do have to account for is that both of us are huge film nerds, right? We love film, and we also, in our own ways, have you know either dabbled or are currently dabbling in actively making films, right? You from a standpoint, you know, we both went to film school, et cetera. So like maybe this is a scenario where it does appeal more to filmmakers and fans of films and people that kind of have that insider information. Some of these jokes. Yeah. Some of these jokes were directed very much at us. You're right. Yeah. So like the bounce board, uh, the wheel work for food bounce board on with foil. Like, yeah, know, I, like I, there's maybe that, uh, taking a step back. There are absolutely people that had no idea that was a joke, right? Yeah, my like my parents wouldn't have gotten that if I were to yeah. you know be watching that with my family uh, when I was younger. You know that those are jokes that have all went over their heads. Um, yeah, so maybe there is something there. That said, maybe, you know? yeah, that said, I still think it deserves better than this. Just performances alone. Yeah, same, uh, dude. Just for Eddie Murphy yeah, alone, know. man. Just I mean, if nothing else, just find the you know fifteen to twenty minutes of Eddie Murphy scenes online and and watch them all back to back. They're hysterical. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean. Well, obviously, watch the whole film. We both just gave it our best rating possible. But even then, like, yeah, it just seems surprisingly low. I don't know. But, you know, this is why you listen to us, people, for the for the hot takes, yeah. for the takes you can't get anywhere else. <laughs> Spicy quesadillas are we. <laughs> right, right. Um, the, the look on Eddie Murphy's face in his in his headshot alone uh, is worth an <laughs> yeah. hour and a half. You're invested as Jif, dude. His his Jif headshot is so perfect. Um, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I love Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin so much. I'm glad Eddie Murphy's coming back for Coming to America too, uh, which, by the way, actually should be coming out shortly after this episode airs. So, um, oh, wow. I should be able to go watch that shortly. Uh, that's going to be the first. Classic Eddie Murphy performance we've gotten in quite some time, or I hope it's classic. We'll see how he does. But. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, guys, we're going to cut to a quick commercial break. We're going to come back and we're going to wrap up another episode. Stick around. Every day, millions of people across the world, starving, depressed, wounded souls, with very little to offer the physical world go unsacrificed to the divine eldritch horror known as Dagon. People safe and secure in the comforts of their home, absent the mind-shattering terror that accompanies intimate knowledge of the great Dagon, waiting to have their minds flayed and their bodies penetrated, becoming one with the cosmic terror that lurks at the depths of the ocean. Hi, I'm Sarah McLaughlin. Please say that you'll help address the ravenous hunger consuming the omnipotent deity that will inevitably hold dominion 
over the universe and all who dwell within. As of right now, humans have been granted freedom from suffering, going unpunished and unsacrificed, while our grotesque, incomprehensible savior lays in wait. For just $18 a month, you'll rescue humans from their pedestrian existence and feed the macabre beast that will bring forth a thousand years of darkness from the depths of the sea. Make your pledge within the next 30 minutes and we'll send you a picture of your human being viciously disemboweled during the ceremonial feeding and a beautiful tote bag free. This is your chance to say, I won't stand by while humans remain unexoriated. All right, Ryan. So two very different films. Obviously, I liked one a lot more than you did, but we both loved the hell out of Bowfinger. So Dagon and Bowfinger wrapping up this episode. Ryan, we are going to pull next episode's films. Are you ready? Yep. Let's do this. All right, man. This is always one of the more fun parts. And uh, we are also going to announce the next half episode. By the way, just want to let everyone know moving forward, uh, we do have a uh, half episode list now that's separated. And uh, we are going to be pulling randomly from those. Up until now, we've just been kind of hand selecting those. So um, they are going to be the same types of films. Uh, maybe have a little bit wider net, but, you know, again, we're not introducing. We still got everything from Akira to Amadeus to Ed Wood and Run, Lola, Run. So, uh, you know, maybe movies with a slightly higher profile, but still definitely within our wheelhouse. So we'll start announcing those randomly at the end of the half episode starting next week. Uh, this week, however, we will go ahead and announce that uh, the next half episode is none other than Oliver Stone's Born on the 4th of July. That's going to be the next episode in two weeks, okay? So if you want to have uh, watched the movie before you listen to that episode, Born on the 4th of July. Ryan, I've never seen this movie. Have you seen this movie before? I did, yeah, a long time ago. This was uh, one of my uh, VHS rentals uh, that I fig figured I should probably see back when I was a youngster doing the five movies, five days for five bucks. Um, <laughs> the good old days. Connor, those times, yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I have seen this. It's been many, many, many years, though. So I'm looking forward to diving back into that. That's a good one. I hope it's yeah, a good yeah. one. I don't remember. Dude, Oliver Stone's so hit and miss for me. Yeah, like it's, there's, there's certain things of his. So it's like, you know, you talk... Uh, JFK, uh, you talk uh, Natural Born Killers, right? Love, 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 love those movies. They're great. But, you you know, especially later in his career, but even before then, right? Like like World Trade Center was like like to the point of being offensive in just its concept, right? But even some of his older works that people love, like Wall Street was fine. Didn't think it was greater genre defying or defining rather. Uh, I didn't love, I mean, I know he didn't, 
direct Scarface, but he wrote Scarface. I didn't think it had a great script. It seemed like it was just like absolutely fueled by cocaine. Like that entire movie is just like, and so, you know, the exceptionally long runtime goes along with that. And, you know, even, even something like Salvador, you know, I respect Salvador more than that, but I don't think it's like necessarily a great film. And you know what? It's weird. It's part of it is like, I don't know what it is, but he and, uh, uh, actually, Jonathan Demi, I would say, is the same way, where they have this, like, there's, it's weird because they're great filmmakers, but they also have, like, Cinemax qualities, like, late-night Cinemax qualities to their movies, and it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what that is, but, like, yeah, dude, I've always, <laughs> I've always had a, I've always had a problem with Oliver Stone, even when I like him, I'm still, it's, it's always qualified. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, a lot of his movies are very long-winded. Uh, which kept as a young lad that kind of kept me away. Uh, that whole double VHS box set, you know, sometimes you didn't have time for that amongst <laughs> your uh, high school project that you're involved in and waking up for school at 6 a.m. It's like, man, do I need to get a, a two and a half hour Vietnam drama, you know, in there? I don't know if I need that. Right <laughs> now in my life. So I'm pretty stressed yeah. out. You know, I got this biology exam on Friday. So uh, yeah, uh, so here we are, <laughs> and I've got nothing to do. And, we're still uh, dealing with uh, quarantine shit, so born on the Fourth of July. <laughs> Let's do. There you this. go, buddy. What's our second film? Yeah, and it's a it's one of those films where you know I should have seen it by now. So again, you know, like I talk about here, I'm going to be happy to finally be able to check this one off my list. Hopefully, I like it more than I don't. Don't really know what to expect, so we'll find out there. All right. So with that out of the way, we're gonna go ahead and select our next two films for our next full-length episode, which is going to be two episodes from now. So this is going to be out of 151 films. Let's see what we come up with. So, Ryan, go here. Random number generator pulls up number 87. So 87, we're going to come up here. And, uh, okay, not bad. You're not going to know. Uh, I don't think you're going to know this one. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire came out last year. No, not at all. I know nothing yeah, about so, this one. Yeah. So this is uh, this is actually uh, going to be like a really smaller uh, sort of indie film. I, I honestly, as I do these days, I've uh, stayed away from learning too much about it. Uh, I do know it was at the top of like everybody's list of either 2019 or 2020. Um, and, and it got a lot. It's got a, a female director. Ryan, do you have a uh, description for us on that? I do. This is a visual representation of Alicia Keys' blockbuster hit from two years ago. That girl is on fire. No, it's not. <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> this is actually. <laughs> I, was hours, say, I don't think that's right. A two minute foreign film about uh that takes place on an uh, isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century about a female painter uh that is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman jason am i gonna hate you after this you're gonna so hate me after this because it's gonna be so artsy and so like slow but no dude uh like i said i actually uh i mean this uh it was it was it was in the running for the palm door at the 2019 cons film festival um so it's uh <laughs> uh, this is actually what a lot of people would consider like a uh, uh, within the like LGBTQ cinema. So we're trying to get a little okay. bit more. Um, yeah, that's fine. I be- you know I believe it's it's sort of centered around a, a woman uh, sort of coming to terms with uh, her homosexuality is kind of the main sort of hook. 
Uh, but like I said, you know, it's, Got it. uh, it's something that I've, I've sort of stayed away from knowing too much just because everybody went gaga apeshit over it when it came out. And so I was like, okay. And I just never got around to it. So, uh, yeah, you may hate me or you may end up getting some feels. We're gonna, we're gonna see either way. Two hour French film. You're welcome, buddy. Yeah. No worries. What else we got? What's our another movie? What's our next movie? Dude, I, I hope that we just get like the most genre heavy film that we've like seen like in a long time or, uh, so, uh, 150. Oh, wow. So, in true random number sense, uh, one out of 151, this has spit up film number 151. Now, <laughs> this is oh, super crap. funny. Yeah. So now this is super funny because I was actually, I was literally just thinking about making a joke of, uh, about, um, uh, uh, how like the polar opposite of this film would be like, uh, a film from the guy who made like uh what was it like uh like Men in the Office or uh Neil Laboot. I Neil Laboot, do you know who he is? No. Yeah, so this is a guy who uh basically has uh, he's kind of controversial because a lot of people say that he's a misogynist that makes misogynist films. So, like, In the Company of Men is the film that I was thinking of that he really, like, came out on. And it's basically just about dudes being horrible to, like, women in the office. Uh, he's the dude who actually redid The Wicker Man. Um, so, uh, he did uh, Lakeview Terrace, if you ever saw that. Um, so, yeah, dude, he's a he's a very controversial filmmaker. Especially because, like I said, he kind of has a reputation as a bit of a misogynist. So... The film that we're looking at is Your Friends and Neighbors, his film, his second from 1998, which is going to be held right up against the uh, sort of, you know, film about a woman coming to terms with her sexuality. And so I feel like we've got some interesting uh, diametrical opposites there that we might be getting into here. So once again, cool. Your Friends and Neighbors by Neil Labute being paired up with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I think this is going to be very, very interesting episode. Yeah, and then uh, born on the 4th of July next week for the half episode. Um, all that to say, I'm really glad I got me some Bowfinger in because we're about to deep dive <laughs> into some heavy-ass shit from Vietnam to uh, turn-of-the-century LGBTQ rights to uh, chauvinism in the office place and everything uh, in between. So. <laughs> yeah, man. So uh, you're welcome for the uh, cheesy horror and the slapstick comedy, guys, because yeah. next week we you're, are— Thank you. <laughs> Next oh, couple episodes, we're talking putting to you me. through the ring. Need- <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna need to double down on my meds uh, for this stuff because we got some. <laughs> <Come> on. <laughs> Anyways, guys, we really appreciate you hanging out with us today. As always, uh, always interesting to see what kind of films we we get coming up for the next couple episodes. So, uh, as a reminder, we do love to talk to you, and we've got a couple different places you can do that. It the first is Twitter. That's at Esoterica Cinema on Twitter and also at Esoterica Cinema on the Instagram. We've got a really nice Instagram and uh, it's it's really specially curated with a lot of the pictures and we've got quotes from the shows on there. So that's a lot of fun. Make sure to check that out. Also, we love to hear from you in old school email because we are some old school old ass guys. And as such, you can send us an email to Esoterica Cinema at gmail.com. Again, you know, we want to know what you thought about 1994 versus 1999 versus any other year in cinema, 70s, 50s, it's all good. And, of course, we want to hear from you as you eat the most delicious muffin that you've ever eaten in your life. Eaten in your life. Wow, that's a good one, Ryan. Eaten in your life 
at the cafe that you're at right now. So, uh, yeah, hopefully you're using better English than I have on this episode. Once again, thanks for or hanging if out. You're, uh, if you're uh, lawyers for Scientology, Church of Scientology, you can direct <laughs> all your emails to Jason Peters at... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Once again, just to remind you, we have aligned ourselves against Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, Scientology as a whole, and we expect this to do a lot for our careers. So stick around and listen to us while you can. Hopefully we will catch you on the next episode of Esoterica Cinema. Aberrant Literature is proud to present the next great anthology in modern fiction, Aberrant Tales, edited by Jason Peters. Most anthologies are content to sit in one lane, offering bland, repetitive versions of the same types of stories. Aberrant Tales is different. Aberrant Literature turns the anthology on its head by blending together multiple genres within the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. With Aberrant Tales, no two stories are ever the same. In one story, you're being transported to a faraway future where corporations allow access to visions of your future, while in the next, you're taken to a distant land of dark fantasy featuring errant knights and grotesque monstrosities. Aberrant Tales is a unique collection of short fiction for those who are tired of the same old thing. It's unapologetically creative, wonderfully imaginative, and embraces its own unique spirit. Find Aberrant Tales today in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions. Online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature.